We here at Libations for Everyone are proud to be sponsored by Perfectly Dosed. Perfectly Dosed is all about accessibility of access, providing creators, BIPOC founders, and entrepreneurs from all walks of life with premium, water-soluble, hemp-derived cannabinoid emulsions at affordable prices for them to bring their idea for consumable products to life. From beverages to edibles, Perfectly Dosed is the perfect ingredient partner for you. Trusted by industry-leading companies such as Fair State Brewing, Blackstack Brewing, Thesis, Amy's Cupcakes, Plift, and Dash Fire Spirits and Bitters, among many others, to infuse their best-in-class products. You can trust Perfectly Dosed to keep your products, well, perfectly dosed, whatever it may be. It's right there in the name. But now, let's start the show. Charles, you're going somewhere. In life? In, well, you're, you're going so. somewhere in my esteem in life, but also uh, you're heading out on a trip, and I feel like we should start right off the top of the episode talking about, it's yeah. going to be a little bit before we have another episode, because uh, I am taking a very routine and rote trip up to the cabin, but the day after I get back, you're taking a much overdue, amazing trip. Longtime listeners of the show know that... I am Lebanese and that I have a place in Lebanon and that I've been yearning to return there for four years now, over four years, uh, and I'm finally making my return. To so Lebanon. literally longer than the podcast has been going, you have been waiting to be able to go back. That is correct. Last time we were there was, and it was also a brief trip because it was a short stop uh, before our honeymoon so my wife and I could have a small second reception in Lebanon for my friends and family there so they wouldn't have felt like they had to come to the U.S. and try to work through um, the process of acquiring a visa. So side, we side, for like, side quick question. Yes. Which wedding was warmer? Like the like, temperature? Yeah, temperature-wise. Uh, Lebanon. Okay. Yeah. The day here was not hot if you weren't in the sun. That's fair. So we've heard the story on the podcast about Quam's uh, wife, Jenny, got sunstruck and, and was having a hard time. But that was the direct sun. Because that yeah. actual day was like 83. You know, it's funny. I, I honestly, I was so focused on her that I, I don't even remember. I, I don't remember feeling exorbitantly hot. Yeah. But that's yeah. one of like four times in the 12 plus years we've been together that I was actually worried about her. And you're yeah, right. The more I think about it, it was the direct sun. Yeah, yeah. the ceremony. Sorry, uh, digression. Uh, oh, all good. So ceremony. Yes, Small ceremony. so we were only there for a, a week before we moved on to our Spain adventures, and um, I've been looking forward to returning since then. Obviously, we had a pandemic. I have a very happy reason and a very sad reason to be there, even though I'm overdue for a return, but um, I have a wife who was stricken, sorry, I, a wife. <laughs> I have an aunt who was stricken with cancer, so we're going to go spend some time with her, and a cousin of mine is getting married, so it's like a happy reason and a, and a sort of sorrowful reason but um hopefully we'll get some good quality time with with the whole family for sure yeah i also feel like a lot of people that are of a certain age as we are in this room that sadly a lot of the homecomings end, end up being a little bit bittersweet because it gets harder and harder to yeah. go back to where your families are from and we're getting older the older we get yeah there's reasons to celebrate and there's always you know a little something to to kind of remind you how lucky we are to have the experiences that we have I think is the best way that I try to yeah. try to look at it. Right. Yes, sir. Uh, and to put a bow on that, that means that for a couple of weeks in September, 
this is going to be the last new episode until sometime in the 20s of September. And we realize this is the best way to tell you guys because this is where you're actually most, obviously (laughs) anyone who listens to the show is listening to the show. Yeah. yeah. So be patient and go through the catalog. We have a lot of great episodes. Like, just go back and pick a random one because yeah. they're, like, even just going back when we'll reference a joke, sometimes I'll go back and look back and I'm like, oh, I forgot about that entire episode. I want to listen to that again. And you're like, I, there are times, again, we've established this routine between the two of us. There are plenty of things that I'm just like, I don't even remember us talking about this. Yeah. And it's not even alcohol related. <laughs> it's just sure. when you talk for a living constantly, it, it is it's hard to remember every conversation that you're in. And so it's, it is kind of fun to just go back and I'll even just like fast forward to a certain spot. <laughs> right like, in the middle. Just see yeah. what happens. Yeah, spin the globe. <laughs> yeah. As, yeah. Wait and jam your <laughs> finger into it. Yeah. Uh, but timing wise, uh, that's also the reason that we're recording this episode with our guest. Yeah. Uh, I, I am, am lucky to call this human a friend of mine. And uh, not only have we bonded over the fact that we're probably cousins somewhere distantly. I don't think there's a, I think we are. We have to be. There's no way around it. And, and, and you know what? If nobody can prove that we're not, I think that's the story we go Absolutely. with. Until, like, until You'd the- you be du- believable as a WWE tag team. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I agree. yes. Yeah. It's Kevin Owens and Kevin Owens, I guess. <laughs> um, but on top of it, I got to, I got to watch somebody that uh, I have not only worked with a little bit, but become a fan of the human being that he is and gotten to cook with yeah. before I got to watch my friend Kyle walk onto MasterChef and absolutely own the, uh, the debut episode. Like, I had friends that didn't know that we knew each other posting shit on Facebook and oh, Instagram awesome. about how beautiful that moment with your son was yeah. and yeah. the fact that you came in, like, talking about a cocktail. Yep. Like, one of my friends was like, dude, this guy reminds me of you. And I'm like, I'm telling you, we are related. Um, So would you be kind enough to introduce yourself to everybody and explain a little bit about how you ended up on the old uh, television screens across the world? Absolutely. Um, Man, it's so awesome to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, So my name is Kyle Hopkins. I... um, I have a great grandfather whose last name is Quam, but spelled yeah. differently than Ben Quam. This is where we we come from the same village. Same village. Same stock. We're both large uh, European farmers. Brick built furry men is my favorite term to coin my friend Scott Hutchinson. Um, yeah, I've had a crazy summer. So I was on uh, MasterChef season thirteen uh, with Gordon Ramsay. That's a normal thing I say now. I just <laughs> hung out with Gordon Ramsay for a while. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have been asking me, like, oh, what are you going to do? I have lived my life this kind of way for a while where I kind of just try to do what I love. And you got to make enough money and you got to make enough other people happy and yep. bring some positivity into the world. But I was a teacher. I've done a lot of culinary stuff. I, 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 uh, I've done a lot of beer stuff now. So I'm like a certified Cicerone who eats and drinks with my heart. Um, in more ways than one. <laughs> My heart is so mad about the Minnesota State Fair. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just, you know, my passions are eating and drinking and cooking and making other people happy, uh, yeah. whether that's just with a joke or some good food or a new beer. Um, and somehow all of those passions kind of collided. And yeah, last winter I flew to Los Angeles to audition for MasterChef, and then I got to be on the show and it was just, uh, you know, people say surreal. I've been using this phrase hyper real. Like to watch a show on television 
that like you know what it looks like and it looks like it always looks like but now you're a part of it <laughs> yeah. like it's so it's that's not surreal it's it's hyper real it's so it was such an insane experience uh, i think the thing that has been so awesome for me um is how incredibly positive it's been like that's i was great. just at dinner with my sister and her husband and they were kind of asking me about it. And like, I got a text from a guy that I met in middle school. He lives in Colorado, I never see him. And it was just this like, dude, I've been enjoying this from the cheap seats, man. It's just so awesome, congrats. <laughs> and it's that, it's these people from my past who just reach out. Yeah. I think it's cool the way t TV is consumed like on demand now, because I had this big moment in that first episode, yep. but other people haven't even, they don't even know yet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there are people that know me that are gonna like discover that and go, oh shit, did you know Kyle's on this? And then they're gonna be watching that and they're gonna be like, is he gonna win this? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And they, they freak out and text me like it just happened because it did it, just happen. It did just happen life. to them. Right. Yeah. So it's been really fun and it is, it's just this nonstop. Obviously at the Minnesota State Fair yesterday, I did have some people that would notice me and smile and wanna take a selfie or whatever, which is just, it's it's that is surreal <laughs> but it's also cool and fun because everyone is yeah. like i love you or it, it, it's a positive thing which is good as somebody uh like i've i've been fortunate enough to know people going all the way back to like season three of top chef and i can honestly say i think that your run on master chef is the closest i've ever seen to a tv show portraying the personality of the human being I know in the same light. Isn't like they really kind of nailed it with like all the, 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 what do they call it? The, the floating head, like the sidebar comments yeah. and shit. Yeah. It always sounded like you. And some people have not had that experience mm. yeah. with those. Can I, can I ask you to just pull that a little closer to you? Absolutely. And then I want to, I just want to ask what, like what was your experience with, with all three judges? <laughs> okay. Um, so I will say this about Gordon Ramsay. The avatar of a man that you see on TV is kind of what I saw. Like <laughs> That's I just, awesome. I just think, and I, I think it's on purpose. I think that there's a little bit of a wall. The winner's going to get a quarter million dollars. They don't want anyone to seem like they're getting special treatment. Um, you know, I'm not supposed to say too much about how the sausage is made, but one of the yep. things that right. it's kind of a secret, but I think it's awesome to share this little nugget because it, it's cool and it shows you who he really is. Um, so, you know, at the end of a show, the, the top people come up, the bottom people come up, somebody wins, somebody goes home. It leaves this huge portion of people in the middle. You kind of can guess, but you don't know. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. the judges would leave, and there'd kind of be some logistical stuff that has to happen. And in the episodes, he would come back out. Cameras are off. And he would give some feedback where he'd say, Ben, what, what, the, what do you think? <laughs> That was what the way, fuck was that? But it was just, it, it was obvious. Yeah. Your, your, your oven was way too hot. Your pan was too hot. We could smell it burning from the front. You have to think about this, this, and this. Wow. And people would go, yes, chef. And it's like, even if you don't make it very far, to have Gordon Ramsay say, I've thought about your food. Yeah. And here's what I think you need to think about to mm. make yourself a little bit better. The show prides itself on that, and they, they deliver. It, it really is. Well, and it really seemed to me like Aron also really liked your flavors. Yeah. And I, I, that was also kind of fun because I think stylistically, that's probably the guy of the three that I cook the closest to. Like, Charles, watching that show, do you, do you identify with any of the judges, or are you sort of a, a melange, a cuvee of all three? <laughs> well, I think that, I mean... If, if I really broke it down, probably 
more like Gordon, mm. but perhaps a little weirder. Yeah, I would say having cooked next to you, Charles, and seeing your plating, I would I would absolutely, I guess, agree with that. Kind of like technique obsessiveness. Yeah. You know? I mean, you you haven't put bread on my ears and told me I was an idiot sandwich yeah. or anything. But <laughs> Who I <could>, are you? <laughs> yeah. But I, I could idiot see... Sandwich. I could see you... Yeah, I, I guess I could 100% see that. Um, I did call you a donut one time when I was drunk. Yes, you did. <laughs> and honestly, listen, soft, pillowy, and a little bit sweet, like, yeah. that's a compliment. Oh, it was a compliment. Yeah. Ain't nobody mad about seeing a donut. It was a compliment. You know? I call like, it my sweet donut. Later at night or early in the morning, I'm here for you, baby. Come on, smush on in. I go great with coffee. <laughs> yeah, no, but so, I don't know, I... I do think there was an element with Gordon that he's hard to really get to know him too well because he's busy and he's yeah. running 97 other businesses in his green room, right? Like he's doing yeah. stuff. Um, I think one of the things that's been interesting for me is when I talk to random people, a lot of times the, they all hate Joe Bastianich. He's just such a jerk. And actually, he might have been my favorite. And I've actually heard other past contestants say that. I'm with you on that. And, and there's an element where on set, especially like... He'll be a little more human, and he'll connect and say, oh, I worked at a restaurant that did this or whatever. And then he does. He has, he's good at the one-liners, and he's mm-hmm. good at kind of being like, oh, like you can tell he likes what you're doing. He tastes your sauce, you know, and then it like the switch flips, and he's like, do you think black pepper's a good idea here, Kyle? And you're like, what? I thought you just liked it. You're like, <laughs> what are you doing, man? But it's, he's, that's his job mm-hmm. is to poke holes in what you're doing and make you a little less comfortable and provide sound bites and he's very good at that but i will say he was one of the people i i, I really i liked him the most of the three judges i, I didn't get to interact much with Arone, but you said something that was so awesome for me um i rolled in obviously with a couple things i was like thinking about cooking mm-hmm. and so that minnesota state fair i had a crab cake set i'm from kansas city like what kind of seafood can i cook mm-hmm. but crab is something we can get you know mm-hmm. and so i had this fennel slaw and a remoulade and a crab cake. Well, then James from uh, the Pacific Northwest, he made a crab cake in his audition. It was like dedicated to his mother who passed away. Yeah. And, it was, it, and, and he's worked in seafood restaurants in the Pacific Northwest. Like, I don't need to try to compete with him. <laughs> exactly. But so I walked in in that first episode, and I was thinking in the back of my mind, I want to use beer. They kind of talk shit because I cooked with bourbon and I'm a Cicerone. So I'm like, don't force it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but if there's a chance to use beer, do it. And I kept saying that to myself, like, don't mm. force it. Yep. And I walk in, and, like, it says State Fair, and there's, like, carnival games yeah. all around. <laughs> I mean, I was like, come on, dude. Perfect. Give me a deep fryer and a six-pack. I'm going to put some beer go. on this. But I did that same set, and I added tarragon to go with the lobster, because mm-hmm. I fried lobster. And Aron, like, called that out. And he had no way of knowing that I had altered that dish just a little bit, but tarragon and lobster are Give very good me. friends. Yep. So I, I just, it was, but it was nice. Like you said, he, he, not only did he like my flavors, he called out and noticed the subtle things I was doing, which made me feel really confident in myself too, that I, I'm doing something here, hoping the judges notice it. And they go, you did something here. We noticed that we loved for sure. That's a confidence booster. I was thinking about it on the drive here, and if I had to do like a <clears throat> a restaurant version of Mary Fuck Kill, <laughs> I would want to eat at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant. I would want to hang out and cook with Aron, and I would want to work with Joe 
at a restaurant. Oh, I thought you were going to say kill. I know. I was no, like, wow, this is no, no, no. Dark. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I just, like, I mean, you kill your dreams no matter what when you turn it into a business a little bit. But for me, like, Joe's push for hospitality and sort of his push to even on a uh, essentially a game show present himself as he would on the floor of a restaurant I think is always something that I really enjoy yeah and uh, like I remember when I finally got out of the restaurant industry my last run was uh, as the general manager of a high-end spot and I had an entire wall of my closet with suits yeah. and I was like I don't need these anymore and I started <laughs> giving shit away and it is kind of fun, Charles, uh, going out to dinner and seeing a few restaurant managers around who are just like rocking some of my old suit jackets. And I'm like, nice. I love that. Yeah. We've had some wild times at nightclubs in that jacket. And now you're wearing that at a fine dining restaurant. And I'm here <laughs> for that. But I, I do. It's one of the things that I love about that panel is that it does have sort of that, that wide berth of you can kind of you could fit in most restaurants that you would be excited to go to somewhere in that spectrum of totally. them. Well, and then think about for me too, my audition episode, the guest judge was Graham Elliott. And I mean, he is a, uh, so, you know, they, when they edited my audition to really make it seem more stressful than it was, cause my audition actually went really well, <laughs> but that was Graham was the first person. And like, you know, they, they approach the table and start eating and they don't talk to you. So you're just watching four Titans of the industry eat your food and you're kind of like it's nerve-wracking but like i like they start digging in they're swiping at the horse feather applesauce and then there's just this like mm, mm, and i start hearing moans and i'm like am i just am I making that up yeah. but they were also and then graham was the first one to talk and he's like can i start and they're like, go ahead, Graham. He's like, first of all, if I didn't know what I was judging, this is the most Midwestern thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's a half a pig on a plate with a bunch of bourbon apples. Like, I would know this is the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. And then it, he, he, he kind of messed with me. He's like, so what's this on top? This is a, it's a horse feather. What'd you call it? Applesauce? And I was like, yeah. He goes, it's not an applesauce. It's a chutney. I would eat this chutney with cardboard. It should be in stores sold everywhere in the country. And I was like, oh, God, I thought you were... I thought you were about to like kick me off. Like yeah. that, that went, that turned out way better. That's kind of time branding. Got to, yeah. <laughs> I don't like looking at your face because I'm so attracted to your body. And you're yeah, like, like, whoa, what? okay. The first was not what brought me to the second. But he's, I mean, you know, Graham Elliott, I mean, he's does the foie gras lollipops and he does kind of such a level of Midwestern comfort food on speed. Yeah. <laughs> and he does French stuff. And he, he's, right. he's someone who I've known for a long time. And I, I think, he does something very elevated while making people feel very comfortable. And I think that's all of yeah. our styles. Right. I love going to a high-end restaurant. I went to Hi-Hi wearing this today, right? And it was an amazing dinner, and everything was great. It's fancy. It's not cheap, but Shout I don't out. need to dress up. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, uh, Hi-Hi is a Vietnamese-focused but Asian-influenced... Vietnamese, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. ...restaurant in northeast Minneapolis. It is ostensibly... a tiki bar program a tiki-esque bar program um with really bright citrus flavors sort of also reflected in citrus and fish sauce and chilies throughout the food absolutely a wonderful amazing place also should be said that is in a former in in my favorite former strip club 
Uh, oh, which, which was called the Deuce the Deuce, 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 and Hi Hi is two two. Oh, that makes it even better. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it was. Uh, let me just say when you when you can sit front row as the women are dancing and watch them have to put dollars into the jukebox to pick their songs, and then you can <laughs> order a frozen pizza cooked to that seat. That's that's the mark. That has to be the most Midwestern and sentence the champagne you can room say. Was a chair that was literally right between the two bathroom doors that would hit you. Yes, people were going yes, in and out. Yeah, it was it was the the flapping 180 degree yeah. doors, and so yeah, you you either perfect. got fanned off or smoked by the doors. Uh, yeah, so everybody perfect. can watch. And so, so it's it's always nice to see old things repurposed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when we it was I will say if anyone's. It was an incredible meal. I, yeah. I've heard about it years ago. Everything we had start to finish was just outrageously it's good. A, it's a fun place, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I want to say two things. Joel Bastianich, I'll always remember him as the chubby teenage boy walking into his mother's kitchen on PBS asking hundred percent yeah. because I grew up on PBS cooking shows. The other thing is when you cooked... The, when you made your state fair dish and it was the fried lobster, I remarked to my wife that you swung for the fences on the first pitch because there's no room for error frying lobster. And I was like, he's either going to be the darling or <laughs> he's going to be punted out. And you ended up nailing it. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. yeah. And, I, I, and I did not know him at the time. Actually, we just met right now for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember thinking, like, I love when people do stuff like that because you did state fair food. And you did elevated food, and literally nobody else, not to denigrate anybody else on the show, but no one was able to do both. Yeah. And you did exactly what the, the challenge asked for. Can, can I ask, and I'm, I'm going to leave this audio in, your answer in, but are we allowed to talk about your run, or do we have to, I, oh, don't, yeah. I don't know. We if, can talk about anything that's happened. Okay. So, so up until now, and so, and honestly, I don't know everything that's going to happen for the rest I, of the season. Can I say something, Quan? Yeah, oh, please do. Can we not talk about where he is currently in in the proceedings. <laughs> sure. Because I don't want anyone who's listening to the show, listening to our show that isn't caught up on MasterChef to turn this off because they don't want to know totally what true. ends up happening. Totally, totally, totally. Uh, so so I'll, I'll tell you some things, but I won't ruin anything like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, really, I'll, the, thing, the thing for me was I was just excited as somebody who was – and again, I can't thank you and your wife for the hospitality yeah. uh, who got to spend uh, a holiday weekend with you last year. Getting to actually like cook with you, it was for somebody who, all right, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me figure this out. Okay. For somebody who really loves cooking with his friends, like my best friends, everybody that was in my wedding, Charles, I really got to know much later, but it's absolutely become a staple in our lives. Cooking together is absolutely the closest thing that I would maybe have outside of sharing a concert with somebody to like a love language, providing for people. And all I wanted to say was, I was just so happy that MasterChef saw what I got to see when I shared a kitchen with you because it's such a beautiful thing to watch. Like we didn't have to, talk about anything like we were just you gave me some ideas for what I could make and I was staying in an Airbnb so I was trying to figure out like what I could use in the kitchen to try and and make it and then getting to go and share like a a whole holiday with you and some friends and and all that it was like 
everything that I saw that day was what I, what I have seen on the screen. And I think that's a, that's just a really cool thing. And of course you're charming. And that whole moment with your kids in the, in the first episode was awesome. But the thing that I really loved was watching you cook through all of these episodes so far was just seeing like you doing that, you know, like to be on camera with those judges there and still being you, that's, that's fucking awesome. Can I be honest? I don't understand how that happened either. (laughs) Like I thought I would be, I've said this a few times. Like I almost feel like right now, if you guys were like, Hey, all right, I've got a filet. I've got a bottle of cognac. I've got some morel mushrooms and you've got 45 minutes. Make me, I would be like nervous because like you guys are real people and we're going to like eat it together. (laughs) But like when you're cooking for Gordon Ramsay, I'm like, well, this isn't real. (laughs) Like, Like it sounds so weird, but it's like the stakes became so high that like my brain literally, I was like, my brain was like, okay, you're going to fry lobster. Should you be scared? And my brain's like, I don't fucking know. I think, let's just do it. And I was like, but I was, I I actually became so comfortable. And it did, it shocked me. And and it was, I was concerned it wouldn't be a joyful experience. And it was. Yeah. I was worried I wasn't going to get to be myself. And I I was so much myself. And Mm -hmm. what you say, a lot of people, especially the people that know me, and I will say, I don't think everyone on this season is, the, the characters they've created for them aren't exactly who they are. I know some of these people. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like I was allowed to just really be my whole self and be silly and serious That's and great. sincere and mainly cook food that I want to eat. Mm. And most of the food that I'm cooking on that show, I'm proud of most of the elements. Um, I don't know. What a cool experience. Yeah. Though. So you were talking about Bastianich. I will say, yeah. I had my kid there for my audition, and I was, like, ready to neutralize him, and it's similar. <laughs> so um, Joe Bastianich's mother is Lydia, and she has a Legend. show on TBS. So when she was very young, her family was flown from Italy to America, for uh, like, by Catholic charities. And they went to her family, and they said, cool, where do you want to go? And they were like, perfect. We'd like to go to America. <laughs> they were like... Okay, well, it's a big place. Yeah. What sounds good? And, and somebody in the family said, how about the home of Harry S. Truman? He seems like a good man. Wow. So her family went to Independence, Missouri, which is where I go when I go to a Royals or a Chiefs game, but I don't have a whole wow. lot of other reason to be in yeah. Independence. So that's like where they flew. And then now Lydia's, there's a restaurant, Lydia's in Kansas City, and Joe's actually a mm. part owner. I did a big beer dinner there for an Italian holiday, and this didn't make the final cut, but I was like, <laughs> hey, you know, my seven-year-old actually knows you. You are a cartoon character in a book about Lydia making Christmas cookies with no her grandchildren. Kidding. And he does, because he hasn't really watched MasterChef, but sure. we read that book all the time. Yep. And he is like this family man, cute little bald cartoon character, like <laughs> sharing Christmas Italian cookies with his children and his mother. And then so Joe actually like kind of like had a moment, and he's like turned to the crowd. He's like, if you don't know, I have deep, deep roots in Kansas City. Yeah. And then, so then he like kind of said hello to Teddy and, mm. but it was like, cause I was like, man, that's the one thing I just don't need Joe Bastianich breathing down my shoulder on my first cook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already dealing with court. So that's another thing. When Gordon Ramsay walks out during my audition, he says, hi, what's your name? And I say, I'm Kyle. And he goes, great. Who'd you bring with you? That is the first time I've ever met Gordon Ramsay in my life. 
authentic. Mm-hmm. That's 12, awesome. 12 minutes into the cook of my life, mm-hmm. and here's Gordon Ramsay, not the avatar, but the actual human being, just shaking your hand, asking to have a casual conversation. Yeah. And while he's doing that, there's someone behind him who is like silent screaming, keep going, keep, <laughs> don't stop. And you're like, I'm, I'm trying to talk to Gordon Ramsay. I'm trying to introduce my family. I'm trying to make sure I'm not burning this. Like, it is an intense uh, situation. Yeah. Oh, oh, what a crazy world. <laughs> so, and, and for anybody, even if you're not interested in the show, MasterChef, just look up the Midwest auditions, which I believe is episode three of season 13 or four. Two or three. Yeah, I think it was two. I think two? it was okay, two. Okay, two. Look it up. Uh, as somebody who has hung out and played power tools with your children, yeah. they are so adorable and perfectly precocious. It was like that was the perfect thing to shine. Yeah. Like you got to have a little bit of that personality in there. And I don't want to ruin it either, but if people are like, oh my God, I saw your audition. It made me cry. And I was like, well, if you didn't, you don't have a soul. Like, <laughs> it is this is this is reality TV 101. It was very sweet. And and it was real. Yeah. yeah. And it's this genuine connection my son and I share. And then, you know, I uh how fortunate. You know, I have a mm-hmm. gif on my phone I can send people that's Gordon Ramsay fist bumping my child. Dude. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. How hyper real is that? It's not even surreal. <laughs> that might be my favorite clippable audio sentence that's been <laughs> spoken on this show. Yeah. That's so awesome. Um well, okay. So to to bring it back to where we are right now, uh, we are we're we're drinking a uh, our version our version a a, a, uh, a broken down horse feather. But can you explain to people what is what, what that is? <laughs> I would love to. So there's actually I'll, I'll promote my wife here for a second. Mm-hmm. She writes for Epicurious and Bon Appetit, and she actually went down the. Um, horse feather rabbit hole and wrote like this definitive found other people's half articles and made it so in theory it was actually invented in lawrence kansas the home of ku Mm -hmm. um it was just a a bar called the 8th street tap room they had certain ingredients they were trying to do this or that so it has now just become something where when you're in a bar in kansas city or lawrence or a lot of places in the kind of donut around kansas city they have horse feathers on the menu um, and so a horse feather is generally whiskey, ginger beer, bitters, and then a, a lemon garnish. Um, and obviously, people are going to do their own spins on that, whatever they do. But that's kind of the basics. Um, Can we shout out your wife on, like, if people want to read more of her stuff? Sure, yeah. Because she's, she's also an amazing human being. She is. Most of the time. Most of the time. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't have to live with her, so I will say that she is 100% amazing no, of the times is. that I've hung out with her. I love her to death. Um, and that was my audition dish was an homage to our wedding. It was all the flavors of our wedding. Um, yeah, we can chat her. Her name's Emily Ferris. Uh, I know she's that Emily Ferris on Instagram. I don't know what her Twitter handle is. Yeah, she uses know. that a lot. But um, she is amazing. And she is, you can find her work on Epicurious all the time. And then she also does stuff for Bon Appetit as well. Just um, so you know, I was being dismissive of Twitter because I'm not a fan of Elon Musk. Oh, not, not, I didn't even say it right. <laughs> not about, yeah, X. <laughs> uh, n- not because I didn't want anybody to follow her on Twitter. Yeah. I just, fuck him. And she actually will have a book coming out in February. Oh, right. Uh, called I'll Be Just Five More Minutes, and I've got to read parts of it, and it's very good. It's her memoir, um, and it's very entertaining. That's awesome. Well, fucking shout out to Emily. Um, yeah, so, and actually, that's another joke that I really wish would have made it in. So I had to meet Gordon Ramsay, <laughs> and I'm like, so I, this is an homage to my wife, who's right here, and he's like, aw. I'm like, so we had a whole hog at our wedding. Um, and side note, we actually did not slice the cake. 
we sliced the pig and yeah, fed, each o- fed each other bits of pulled pork. So <laughs> oh, that's great. So we had a whole hog, and then we had horse feathers. So I kind of used that as my inspiration. Mm. And so I was telling Gordon that story, and then I was just like, just casually, I was like, yeah, so I'm doing a double-cut pork chop today. Uh, didn't have full confidence I could complete a whole hog in the 45 minutes allotted. <laughs> yeah. and, and Gordon Ramsay chortled. <laughs> like, I was like, I know that joke won't make it because he just did an embarrassing laugh. But I was like, but do you know how, how much that put me at ease? That's a win yeah. right there. Because <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is working right now. I can now. do this. I, I caught him off guard enough <laughs> to make him laugh. Got him. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so we're drinking horse feathers. This is this was the drink of our of our wedding. You know, we always have these. It's it's pretty basic, right? Like you can get ginger beer and you can get bourbon or whiskey, and it is like we don't have all the ingredients. It does not matter right now. This is a delicious drink. Well, Great. and and what we made it with is uh, Maker's Mark from our good friends at Beam Centauri, who have been yes. so kind to sponsor our show. Uh, Maker's Mark was in fact the first whiskey that I fell in love with. Me too. I <clears throat> I drank Jack Daniels with Seven Up in my early years because right. it was something that I could just order. A Jack and Seven was easy to shout out. But the first time that I had straight whiskey and really understood why mm. people love it. For a lot of people, it's the first step up, right? Yeah. Like, oh, Makers it, is, yeah. And I still there. love it. I, I am sure. unabashed. Uh, anybody that's known me for a long time knows there's almost always a bottle of that in my bar cart. So mm. when we were talking about this, in my opinion... We're using a super quality ginger beer from our friends at Earl Giles, uh, right here in Northeast Minneapolis. Yeah, it's really good, it's oh, it's one of my so favorite good. ginger beers. Uh, I took it's my favorite ginger beer. I took yeah. over a year off of consuming alcohol, and Earl Giles ginger beer was absolutely kind of the crutch that I leaned on. I was there for you. I could still go out, and I could <laughs> thank you for filling in my gaps. Uh, <laughs> wink, uh, <clears throat> but I like I could find it at a lot of different high-end cocktail places and it made me feel like i was still having something because there's so much work that goes into it so you have the beautiful now they make ginger ale and the ginger ale is fucking fantastic also incredible but with some home for my wife with the sweetness of the maker's mark it really creates a great balance because the ginger beer from earl giles has a high lime acid content in it and so that beautiful brown sugary sweetness that you get from every bottle of mm. Makers really kind of provides that sort of sweet and tart vibe together. For sure. Like it makes your mouth water and then you kind of just want to keep drinking it. Absolutely. And we do, but also that's why I love pouring those two together. And Makers is one of those bottles that is reliable in another way. We've all been to weddings that are catered at the facility oh, and yeah. their bar is about, you know, a foot across the selection is not great. Fact. If you want to drink something straight, you don't want to have a mixer and you don't want to drink a bottle of macro lager. Your options are fairly limited, but you can almost always find a reliable bottle of maker's mark. So yeah. Almost always there. So I worked at a camp up North kind of outside Duluth. And that was when I was my formative drinking years. Yeah. And somebody <laughs> at one point was like, you should bring in some maker's mark. Can you get maker's mark? And the woman was like, Oh sure. So she brought in a case of it. And I don't know what kind of bar math they were using, but I do know they were giving us Wisconsin pours. So we were like, oh, cool. So can I get a Makers on the Rocks? 
And it was like two fifty or two seventy five, <laughs> and they would put ice in the cup and fill it to the brim. Oh god, it's and, just floating. Yeah, and <laughs> this will shock you guys. At this boys' camp I worked at, the case of Maker's Mark ran out before the end of the summer, pretty Real quickly. Quick. No. Yeah, because they, first of all, there's like they were getting three pours per bottle. Yeah. but also like that math. I'm like, so if I buy four drinks. I'm spending $10 and I might die. That's, that's this is a weird scenario. Yeah. But like that was where I think that it was because it is something. I'm with you. In college, there was a place that did like the $1.75 triple wells, which I don't even think is legal anymore. Yeah. Nope. But that was just, you don't even want to know what the label is. Right. But you get to a certain point where you're like, you know what? When I drink, you know, soda fountain triple wells, I feel miserable. Correct. And you have an older mentor say, hey, drink it on ice, drink it a little slower, you're going to feel better, and it works. Mm -hmm. So that was, I agree, like I didn't have a million dollars. Maker's Mark is that, it's a premium product, totally something I could sip on ice, but I don't need to spend a million dollars on it. That's it. The, uh, I, I was a Manhattan fan before I was an old-fashioned fan, and to be 100% honest, I'm probably still more of a Manhattan fan. And a Maker's Mark Manhattan is absolutely what I make when I want to feel nostalgic about when I first got into cocktails. That was the first real whiskey drink that I was like, yes, this is me. I really love this. And I just, I love the fact that, that all these years later, it's come full circle or full roundabout if you're in Maple Grove, which I just realized is a term. Um, if, you're, if you're feeling it, it's like, go back to it. Even if you loved it, Years ago, go back to it because it's so fucking good. Yeah, and it's I mean, that always happened that to good. me when I was getting, you know, deep into the, the bourbon consumption and doing the silly bottle chasing thing. Uh, now that I've come to the point where I don't fucking care anymore, it wasn't that long ago that, and it wasn't like I had hadn't had makers in years, but I no. just hadn't, I hadn't like had it in a glass and just contemplated how good it is yeah. until I was like, well, fuck, fuck this game. Right. And then it might've been like three years ago. I just had a friend pour me some maker's mark. And I was like, you know what? This is really fucking good. <laughs> it's great. Okay. You don't have to chase this bottle. Yeah, man. I've it, made ice cream with maker's mark before. Ooh, it's, cool. a, it's a good, uh, ice cream. I've made a caramel with it, but I've never made actual ice cream with it. How yeah, about it's a little tricky because you can't use too much. Right. Cause yeah. you change. It just won't point. freeze. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of the best ice creams I ever made was, this is back in my time at Boulevard, they had a beer called Bourbon Barrel Quad. Uh, Boulevard is a brewery in Kansas City, Missouri. Perfect. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Delicious. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, sixth glass is the base, so it's a quad. I made a quad ice cream. I put, like, fig jam in the ice Fuck cream. Fuck off! And so then... Oh, my God, that sounds awesome. I've never even mm, thought of that. Dude, it was so good. And that was the thing, too. If you put too much beer in, it, it won't freeze. So I thought the fig jam gives you a lot of those notes you mm -hmm. get out of a quad. For sure. And so um, I took... That year, we'd used four roses. So I did, like, a one-to-one, -one, four roses to sugar, and put cherries in it. I want to say, like, 45 days or something. So then I wasn't smart enough to know what I was doing, but I, I mixed the cherries in at the end. So the beer is six glass aged in a bourbon barrel with cherries added. Yeah. And then so I did six glass ice cream, these bourbon cherries. Well, the cherries didn't completely freeze. So they were like these squishy, squishy yes. bourbon cherries. Give so you're getting this like, and I also refuse to cook beer before I put it in ice cream. I, I want the alcohol. I mean, 
I think you kind of need that full flavor. And you bastardize the flavor of it if you cook it out. So sure. I want enough of the beer in there so you can still taste it, but not so much that it doesn't freeze. But it was one of those that like, oh, my God, the way that that worked out with the little splashes of bourbon. Mm. God, I want to go home and make that's that. Right. Yeah, well, that sounds great. That was, I, I don't think I've said this on the show. Uh, my, my, I get myself a birthday present every year and my present uh, this year to myself. Uh, thanks to a suggestion from uh, multiple-time former guest of the podcast, Eric Eastman, was a recipe book for really funky, fun ice creams. Awesome. And that is, that's my goal for the next year, is to really kind of get super inventive. I have the, the KitchenAid attachment to my yeah. uh, mixer, so it doesn't, you know, it makes at the most a quart. So it's not a ton of ice cream. It's a, it's a surmountable amount of ice cream. Yep. And... You can kind of fuck around, and if it doesn't work, like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a little bit expensive, but it's not crazy. You didn't fuck up a huge batch. Yeah. More and, time than anything. Yeah, yeah and I just, I just want to keep messing around because... So what's some crazy ice creams you've made? Or well, what you I, I do feel like I've already talked about this, but uh, the, the one I'm the most proud of, uh, I, have a, I have a maple bacon ice cream that I'm still very, very proud of, yes. and we did do a little splash of Maker's Mark in that when we made it, and then I also threw in a scoop of bacon grease to further... Uh, wow. just cream it up. Yeah. But the, the most recent that I'm very proud of was I made a scratch salted caramel ice cream, and then I upped the fat content by shaving in some yaitust, some Norwegian goat yeah, cheese, yeah, yeah. which is a little bit sweet and a little bit salty and also looks the color of salted caramel. And then um, Plift, another one of our sponsors, uh, sells THC to other companies as well. And so a company here in Hopkins, Minnesota, makes a THC-infused salted caramel syrup. And so at the very end, I stirred in swirls of that and then froze it. So it was delicious, and it was funky, and it was a little salty. Wow. And then it got you, like, by the time you were finished, you were, like, a little bit lightly stoned. <laughs> and it was, like, it was the most beautiful dessert bliss you could ever dream of. And like okay. that with a little sipper of espresso from our Breville espresso machine was perfect. Like even with the caffeine, I just cuddled up into bed. Wow. And went to sleep. Oof, it was beautiful. Lovely. Should we cheers? And yeah, let's do that. Let's get into the, get into the questions. The I believe, Charles, you lead her off. All right. Cheers. Ching, cheers. Ching. Also, we have another one de degree of separation, Kyle, because I know Stephen Powell's. You do? I do. I, I judged with him at the South American Beer Championships in 2015. And, oh, uh, I love Steven, man. And, uh, he's one of my favorite people Santiago. on earth. Santiago. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. He and I adventured in some ruins. That's where we became friends. Nice. Yeah. All right, topic number one. These can be the same thing if you desire, or they can be two, two different things. And we kind of touched on this before we even started recording. But what's something you cannot stop eating in peak season? And something you refuse to eat if it's out of peak season. Oh, wow. Um, well, I will say right now, and this is perfect with the Minnesota State Fair, sweet corn. Yeah, buddy. God, it's Ooh, just, yes. I, sweet corn's good, but like, of course, it's just not the same. And we are in that prime season. Mm. Um, I had some elotes at the fair yesterday that were apps. I wanted to do like the cliche, just the corn cobs. But then somebody's like, we got to try these elotes. And it was everything. I, I had been eating so much like fried, rich, fatty foods. Yeah. And then it was like tagine, 
Cotija, some mm. crema, some lime. It was all this like acid. Give it to me. And then my body, for some reason, was tricked into thinking corn was the most nutritious thing on earth because I'd only <laughs> eaten junk all day. Yeah. So my body was like, this is real nourishment. Um, <laughs> it really worked. But I love sweet corn. And I would actually, we were talking ice creams. Uh, mm-hmm. For our supper club one time, um, one of the couples chose vegan as the theme. And so then, what an asshole. so then the next theme was uh, indigenous Southern, so kind of like Southern American. Mm. And I did the salad, and I think there were nine meat items in my salad, and that was my way to my middle finger to the <laughs> vegan theme. But I made an, I made like an andouille terrine, <laughs> and it was wrapped in like precious. So it had like andouille oh, sausage. Did you say? <laughs> and then Dewey Tureen. I did. Oh, just wait. Wrapped? Okay, it's, it's okay. all right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, maybe I'll take a step back. So, so I, I used Frogamore stew, like a, a classic crab boil. So uh. what I did was I made an andouille terrine. It was wrapped in bacon. There's bacon in there. There's pork fat. There was little hunks of andouille actually on the inside. I did like Alton Brown's perfect grilled shrimp or yes. the, uh, whatever for a shrimp cocktail. So there's andouille terrine. Um, there was the shrimp. Um... I made a little potato salad because there's potato. And then I actually made a sweet corn ice cream. So I had nine meats and an ice cream. <laughs> I, I, we have our first possible title for the episode. Nine meats and an ice cream. <laughs> um, but sweet corn, man, that's the best, you know. And it's funny. I will eat tomatoes out of season just because I think you're forced to. But, like, there's just not much more that is, like, the negativity of our modern age than like eating a Roma tomato on a Jimmy John sandwich to like make me depressed <laughs> about the current yeah. state of America. <laughs> and like the opposite is true. Like my dad grows heirloom tomatoes in the backyard. My friends do. And it's like when they are good and salted and peppered and olive oil and a little oh. balsamic drizzle and you mm. let it marinate for 10 minutes and then you put it on anything. It's so amazing. So it's sadly, it's like I don't not eat tomatoes when they're out of season. They just make me sad when I eat it's them. It's a different food. <laughs> it is a different food. Yeah. Squishy, watery texture versus the most delicious, sweet, acidic, beautiful thing. So that's my real answer. I want one fake answer, though. I did take Ben to Fox and Pearl. That is true. There. That is my favorite dinner I've ever had, including all the barbecue. That was my favorite dinner I've ever had in Kansas City. So I was down there sitting at the bar. Uh, they've got Hell Lager on tap, and I know them. We've got a big party going in Wichita this weekend um, where they're going to come down and cook food. I love those guys. But uh, they brought us over bone marrow, and then we did, like, a bone marrow luge. Yeah. And so we were just, me and my sales rep, we were like, I, I just love bone marrow season. Bone mar- it's peak season right now for bone marrow. <laughs> it's, the, oh, it's never going to be more fresh than it is right now. Wait, wait, is, it, is it August? Oh, it's perfect. It, this is marrow mm-hmm. season. Late summer, early fall. It just <laughs> melts off the if bone. there's an R in the month. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, well, I want to hear what you guys have to say. So I say corn in season, tomato I won't eat out of season. <clears throat> I will say that um, sweet corn is an easy answer for anybody in the Midwest. Uh, I also made a sweet corn custard for my last, uh, the 19th annual $400 barbecue, and I tossed crushed cornflakes with Slap Your Mama Cajun seasoning and a little bit of brown sugar, and that was the crumble across the top. Mm. That was real good. Oh, that was real good. Um, For me, honestly, by volume, it has to be hatch chilies. Like, we kind of hit this season where all of a sudden everything comes. I will, over the next month and a half, I will probably make 
somewhere between five and ten gallons of uh, pork chili verde. Yeah. And then I freeze it all, and I keep it. I have now two full-size refrigerators with freezers and a (laughs) a reach-in, like, drop freezer. And most of the other two that aren't in our kitchen are just stocks, soups, chilies, all that shit. Because I have to celebrate this, this moment. I love, absolutely love that it also coincides with really great tomatoes. So I throw in chunks of heirloom tomatoes and all that. But that flavor, it just doesn't get much better. And here in the north, north, north of the Midwest, the north coast, we just don't get that much. And I know right. that they're available all the time. I know that you can you know, have them like freeze or frozen and sent to you or just hothouse farms that grow them all year round. But this is the harvest season that when I love. When you get the real deal. The real deal. The season, you and, can't stop. Yep, and I'll fire up my grill and my oven at the same time, and I'll char them and de-skin them. It's a very tedious process that involves me listening to a lot of music and sweating more than I probably should. <laughs> but it's, it is the best. And then when you get to produce a couple pots, like last year I did – a pressure cooker version and I did the the seven hour stovetop version and I'm so glad I did that because I proved to myself that there's nothing that beats the time mm. you know it's great in a pinch to have the pressure cooker stuff and I would still give that a really solid b plus but when you give it that time to let all those flavors kind of meld together and all of that moisture kick off you just get such a more concentrated flavor and even with these giant like pork flavors in that the hatch chilies are still just what shines through that's the flavor of everything for me and that to me is the most beautiful part of like this time of year one of the most unique profiles for a pepper as well yeah it's easy to identify a hatch chili and it's fun it's like a shishito like you know shishito is a shishito yeah you can call it but you know like a patron pepper is sort of a adjacent pepper but like when you eat shishito even if it's not identifiable when you taste that you're like that's a shishito same thing with hatch. If someone makes a green chili sauce out of hatch, you're like, that's a hatch chili Boom. sauce. And what I love on top of it is you also don't exactly know which ones are going to be hot and which ones aren't. Yeah. So it can vary batch to batch, which I also really enjoy because while I am a heat hound, I don't mind if I have to backfill on, on some spice. Ah, sure. So it's kind of fun to just see batch to batch. I'll sometimes separate them out a little bit by color and do two different batches just to try and see what the difference in flavors is or are. But, oh, that is that is my favorite. I got I, fucked over with my ski days last weekend, if ooh, you probably noticed. I, so, I didn't feel like you got fucked over at all. I thought that was delicious. There was no heat. There was no heat. There was no heat. So I made, I grilled a bunch of stuff in my house last weekend. I made esquites, but with shishito. Shishito and corn goes well together. Why can't I put shishito in my esquites? So basically that's elotes off the cob. Made it, you know, salad bowl, toss it all together. Chopped yep. up a bunch of grilled shishitos and threw them in there too. Zero heat on any of them. I was actually really mad about that. <laughs> you know, the, the flip side though was that everything was so flavorful. I didn't mind it not being stomped on. Like I actually just really liked the flavor of everything. I thought it worked really well. And so I didn't feel like anything was missing. Also knowing your hot sauce library, I knew that I could kick it up if I wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was happy just kind of having all of those flavors kicking. For sure. I just, uh, especially with how sweet the sweet corn is right now, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, if I was able to observe that originally, then I probably would have added a little more salt and I would have tapped in some heat. I would also say that that's probably my fault because I use the esquites 
almost exclusively as a topping for the tacos yeah. that were yeah. the most insanely delicious the cheeks. Uh, Asian seasoned-esque beef cheeks. Yeah, and I kind of did like uh, a it was, broth. Oh, dude. It was so a, yeah. luscious and savory and like unctuous. And then you had these pops of beautiful, juicy sweetness. And then that vegetal like pepper. Like it, it all, that, that bite worked so well. And the chili crisp. Well, of course. So and that then Momofuku the chili crisp. Like, let's go. Nice. So nice. I, I actually, I guess I, I gamed myself out of really noticing that. Or into it. Or in, it was so good. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was a perfect bite. That was one of my favorite perfect bites of the summer. Love it. So Charles, what about you? Was there, wait, was there a thing that you don't eat? Oh, that I don't eat. I, you know, I'm. Or that you hate eating, I guess, would be the other like, way to say it. I, corn and tomatoes just are right. so sad. You know what? Honestly, um, I really don't like, I really, really don't like really any winter fruit. Like, I don't, I, apples get mealy and, you know, whatever, wherever they're getting shipped from, they kind of suck. Oranges, I try to do the best I can. Grapefruits are okay. Like strawberries. Again, we've talked about this at length, our time in, in Scandinavia. Like, I got taught what a real strawberry For tastes real. like, and yeah. now they're just so depressing. See, I like, had a similar thing. We honeymooned in the Pacific Northwest, and I was, salmon's like that. Yeah. So we were up there in the winter, mm. and like when all the salmon come in, and they're all yeah. doing the salmon run, and it's yeah. like everywhere has that salmon and then like i can get it at whole foods and it's super expensive but then like the 6.99 a pound salmon at the fish counter in kansas city missouri it's just like you're (laughs) like like, oh but now i know what it's supposed to be yeah yeah. like (laughs) right if i hadn't seen such riches i could live with being poor yeah like when you've had what it's supposed to taste like you're like no, like you just painted a thing to look like that. Yeah. And now I'm eating it because it looks like that, but it isn't the thing that I want. For so sure. I uh, honestly, like, I think strawberries are the most disappointing out of all of them. But I would also say like apples fit in that category too. Sure. Like I really love when, when we hit hot season, like there are some really, really great Minnesota apples where when you bite it you almost have to have a paper towel already because so much juice comes out and then you take that same apple in january and you take a bite out of it and it just it feels like if you rubbed your hands together like just grains of sand would fall out oh god yeah there's nothing there's there's not much in the produce department that i hate more than like a mealy apple like i don't want to eat wet sandpaper that's been layered together right and then flavored with mott's applesauce Shout out to Mott's. Eat their applesauce. Just kidding. They don't pay us. Yeah. All right, Charles, what you got? Man, it's uh, like I, I wanted to do this on the fly because I didn't know how you gentlemen would answer. An interesting thing to contemplate that I wasn't thinking about when I formulated this question is that, uh, like, I love spring peas and there's nothing like them, but frozen peas are pretty good. Yeah. I love heirloom tomatoes and I'm crushing tomatoes right now. I mean, yeah. I just slice them on a plate, salt, pepper, really good olive oil. That's all I need, and I just eat it. Like, the the surface that it's served on is my tongue. Like, <laughs> so let me get that. And um, there, there are some things like watermelon. You know, watermelon in the summer, you're not going to get watermelon like that other times a year. Other examples. There's, there's got to be other great examples of that. Cucumbers. Cucumbers, I think, is a good one. And that would be my answer for, for a thing sure. that I hate eating. That, that's my answer for the thing that yeah. I hate eating. So maybe I'll go like a little deeper down the trail and say like chanterelles, right? Ooh, yeah, like yeah. Various mushrooms that only have like a very 
type season. And yeah. there are a multitude of them. Chanterelles, I prefer to morels. I love morels. I love all mushrooms. But it occurred to me in the last couple of years when there wasn't the my precious uh, node in my brain regarding morels anymore that it's just as hard to get your mitts on really good chanterelles. And guess what? I fucking like them more. So really good chanterelles is something that like when you have that window, I just go for it mm-hmm. super hard. And I have a chamber sealer now so I can do, you know, I can cook some mushrooms down and freeze them. It's certainly not going to be the same as when I originally had them. So it still qualifies. And then the other thing you could say is, you know, we could easily talk about meats. You could say soft shell crab or spot prawns, mm-hmm. oysters when they're actually in season, even though we can get great farm uh-huh. oysters yeah. year round. I just don't feel like we in the, I was thinking about it from where we are right now, I guess. And I just, I still don't feel like the quality is that much different between the seasons because we still don't get, like when you go to the coast, you really feel like you're getting that difference, you know? But you can't even get spot prawns. Yeah, you're right. Season, hundred percent. But yeah, man, it's, it's a thing that I think we think about more where all of us reside um, than some people who are probably listening to this in areas where it's not as much of a concern. For sure. Um, I mean, the fruit thing, God, when I'm in Lebanon, I'm just going to be crushing fruit. I'm honestly, legitimately jealous. I'm going to photograph the cantaloupe, which is edible cantaloupe. Do it. (laughs) Can I just ask for a clarification? Are you going to Lebanon, Missouri, or the country of Lebanon? (laughs) Lebanon, Missouri. That's carpool, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I I actually have a fun little, this is kind of the same, but I'm going on a little tangent here. I learned uh, Halloween candy on November 1st trick a couple years back. Ooh. I was doing a little recipe prep, um, and I wanted lobster tails. And this guy was like, uh, you know, we pay the most for lobster and lobster tails the first two weeks of February. Because you show your significant other you love them Valentine's by, by Day. spending money. So no. we have to get the premium premium. On February 15th, we put them in our freezer. And you can buy them for half cost or more. Come it's on. the same thing. So then I, like, planned on, like, February 16th, I made this, like, uh, puff pastry topped, like, uh, lobster soup for my wife. And I was like, oh, that's... But when he told me that, I was like, I don't know if I really want to spend the money on lobster. And he's like... Hey man, come closer. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta tell you something. Just opens up a trench coat and he's got a bunch of lobster tails hanging. These babies are gonna be half price tomorrow's. He's a weapons dealer from Resident Evil 4. Yes. <laughs> Jacket full of lobster That's tails. such an awesomely specific reference, and you're so right. <laughs> uh, 15% of our listeners got that one. <laughs> Sorry to Dennis Miller, the situation. <laughs> All right, well, fuck. Cheers. Yeah, hey. Cheers. Cheers. Ching, ching. This is a good cocktail, man. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with it at all. All right, so, uh, Kyle, question number two is a both sides question as well. As a fellow Midwesterner, Mm -hmm. uh, we, you know, like, we get lumped into this everything is the same in the Midwest because the coasts just want to pretend that this is all flyover. Yep. While being wildly different as you travel around from your perspective in Kansas city, what do people get right about the Midwest and what do people misunderstand or straight up get wrong? Um, is it, can I answer the same thing for both? I mean, yes. Racism. <laughs> I think, I think, I, 
So I, I think I, th- I think that there's I think there's kind of a thing though on the coast where people think it's just all uh, a bunch of white people. Yeah. Right? right. Oh, it's you live in Kansas, but then obviously there's a huge diverse population. Mm-hmm. So like you're wrong. Like we actually are diverse, but then it is, man. It's it's still not yep. the most accepting, loving place, and it is. There's obviously the 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 government in Kansas is stuck somewhere in the mid 1800s, mm-hmm. um, and Missouri is kind of the same. And, and it's weird because, you know, I'm saying coast, but, like, when I think about I live in Missouri, you know, I don't need to see election results. Mm. There's a bubble in Kansas City, and there's a bubble in St. Louis, and there's everything in between. Sure. And mm-hmm. I, I, I know Minnesota is a more liberal place, but I would imagine you see something similar. Well, it's very similar. There's some rural yeah. areas. Very similar. And, and I think sometimes those <laughs> ro- people are just afraid of the unknown. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up very Catholic. This is kind of a cool story. I grew up very Catholic, and one of my best friends growing up, his older brother was always just kind of a little different, kind of weird. I feel like we made fun of him. Well, he um, came out at some point, and a very conservative kind of Catholic group of friends my parents were in, instantly, they all viewed this issue of what it means to be gay and what you can and can't accept totally differently and that's so cool to see but it's also a little disheartening yeah because that's what's happening right i don't know people that are brown i don't know people that are gay i don't know people that are different from me so i could either try but i don't have to so i'm just gonna sit here and think i don't like them and try to do things that i don't need to respect them or anything and i i think I think that is something that people think about the Midwest, and I think they're kind of right. I think I'm often frustrated with the people that I live around um, that aren't as open-minded and loving and respectful of all the other people in the Midwest. And I do think people probably don't think about it as deep as that. When they think about the Midwest, like, oh, I live in New York. It's rough here. But it's like it's actually a lot easier to beat up a gay kid in rural Missouri than it is in, in downtown New York City. And I think that there's an element that when people see the Midwest, they kind of judge the loving and the unloving and the homogenous nature. I think everyone gets that a little bit off. Is that a good answer? Is that what you were asking? Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's that's a great point. And honestly, I, I wasn't uh, – I, I didn't even include that in my thought in writing this. But it actually goes hand-in-hand hand with a, a theory. There's an essay that I've been slowly working on over the last month where um, – Okay, so uh, Kyle, uh, how old are you? I'm 42. Uh, 42. Okay, so we're all in our 40s. And uh, as we age, one of the things that has always made sense, uh, a wonderful trainer friend of mine named Jill Sinkler, or sorry, Jen Sinkler, excuse me, one time told me, just remember, like, the most important thing is if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And her whole thing was, like, just keep stretching and keep moving, keep walking, because as long as you have your range of motion, you'll always be able to work out, you'll always be able to kind of work on your body and whatever. And I think that the way that we've allowed, whenever there's an expanse of land where people can continue to move out, what we've done is we've created suburban worlds where you don't even have to question what stores you're going to because they're all the same. Yeah, It's the same grocery store, it's Trader Joe's or it's Whole Foods or wherever, where they're all sort of laid out the same. It's the same restaurants in the Midwest where there's always like chicken fingers and a burger and some sort of pasta. It's the same safe things and every 
bar out there has sort of the same beers on tap and you can always have, so you never have to challenge yourself. And then we also allow as it gets more and more rural where anybody of color or anybody who is different was literally shunned from being, it allows that to sort of metastasize. And then anything that challenges what you're supposed to do, anything that makes you stretch now hurts where you used to be able to reach backwards and grab the thing that was behind you. Now your shoulder hurts. And I think that we've allowed people to do that societally. And that's tough. The, the, the real thing that sucks is I don't know. I think it's easier to pull off in somewhere like the Midwest where there is just this expansive open land where if you really want to get away from everything, you can. You can exist away almost off the grid if you drive half an hour or 45 minutes from any one of the cities, maybe except Chicago, in the Midwest. You can, you can be off the grid. And yeah. that allows that to happen faster. But I think it still happens on the coasts. It's just easier to do here. So more people that are afraid of anything different from them or people that just move somewhere because they want to get away that then become afraid of everything else. I think it's easier for them to find a place where they can do that, quote unquote, safely if you're somewhere where that land expanse goes. Yeah. I think it's tough too. That's what, that's what we're up against. You know, we, we have been fortunate enough that the balance in our state with, uh, I guess I would say more, more progressive ideas, AKA the way that not to speak for you, Charles, but the way that we want to see the world is like more people under this tent. We've had a really great run these last couple of years in Minnesota of trying to codify that this is a state where we want everyone to feel home we want everyone to feel taken care of we want everyone to know they can get the health care that they need and that they have a place but it's it's a fight it's not it's not easily won yeah. just because well, you don't this state to, you don't need to feed children there's no hungry children in minnesota <laughs> well, i saw that uh, yeah like that was that was a real thing like a, a politician actually said i've never seen a hungry kid in this state i don't understand how that's a thing it's insane like well, yeah, yeah well personally don't know any hungry children. Exactly. Exactly. But if they did, then, then they would they would push for Jacob's law for this one little kid that, that now if it affects them directly. Yeah. I think that's that's absolutely something that I've seen in our in our world here in the Midwest is sometimes people need it to affect them directly before they can figure that out. Yeah, in some ways it's a human thing. <laughs> well, you know? yeah. yeah, I think you're right, Charles. Life is particular to your experience. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I'm, I'm sure for some people it's tough to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Right. But if you do the work, man, you can get there. Like empathy well, yeah, is it's a also superpower. How we, it's how we, we train in our progeny, you know? Well, if you're indoctrinating someone to believe that the people that are, the more different someone is from you, that um, the less you should care about them, then they might grow up believing that. They might also shake away from that. But if you raise your kids to believe that the more different someone is from you, the more you should try to understand them because you're going to discover that they're a hell of a lot like you are, then guess what? They're going to have a proclivity to, to treat people that way. Well, or also that you might learn something that you didn't know about life. Like what a beautiful gift that is. Well, that shit, just, we've always said how this is so intrinsically tied to travel as well. Yeah. People who never leave the country, just they feel like, the only people for them are their, the people that are closest to them in physical proximity. But there are probably many, many people that once they take that 
one trip to Thailand or something. They're like, what the fuck? Like, there's a whole other world, and these are people just like me. They're working, they're eating, they're shitting, they're laughing, they're crying. Yeah. They're going to concerts, they're smoking cigarettes, they're drinking beers. Wow, they're a lot like me. I remember having a really shitty slash cool experience. I taught in Seoul, South Korea for a year and a half. Mm. And I remember I got pretty comfortable, and I, I started, you know, I'm comfortable everywhere I go. And I went into this little uh, porridge place, you know, Korean porridge is a thing. And I walked in and I was like, ah, just one, please, you know, just one person. And in Korean, he's like, ah, we don't serve foreigners. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, you do, man. You can't. What's the, I'm wearing my shirts wow. and my shoes. Are you guys, I, I, like, and I'm like, kind of getting on my high horse here. And then I was like, dude, I've never felt like this. Yeah. No, yeah. as a, as a middle-class white guy from Kansas city, I've really never not been allowed a place. What do you I've, mean? I'm not welcome here. You know what I mean? I'm welcome in every room. But, and then I was like, well, what's my recourse? And I was like, I don't have any, he's not going to serve me. I'm going to go buy food somewhere else. Cause I'm actually not welcome here. There's people in Kansas City that feel like that all day, every day yep, as yeah. they navigate yep. it. And I've only had to feel it for a very brief part of my life. But I think you're so right. There's a human part of that where mm -hmm. once you've felt the sting of that, well, it's the difference in sympathy and empathy, right? So now I can actually sympathize. I've mm -hmm. felt the way you feel, and I don't think it's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Charles, how would you, how would you answer that question? Yeah, it, it, I'll, I'll take it a, a different direction. I think that a lot of people from bigger cities, and I know people and travel a lot to bigger cities, think that uh, we don't know how to have a good time. Mm. I think it's just more, there's this idea that, for instance, the Twin Cities where I reside, that it's quiet here all the time and nothing ever happens. And granted, we're not as public of people as bigger cities or like people overseas in places like Europe or, you know, in Asia and, and even in like Lebanon. But if you come to a proper gathering here, the right time of year, which is happening right now, if you come to the Twin Cities between May and September, there's always shit popping off. Mm -hmm. And if you go to Artaworld, if you go to the Minnesota State Fair, if you go to a large outdoor concert, if you go to a, a lake game, <laughs> if you go, yeah, to like a lake party, for instance, we know how to have fun. And I always call it, I always call mid-May, actually when Art of World occurs, which is this huge art festival that I've discussed on the podcast before, when Art of World occurs, it's in mid-May. And I always say it's bacchanalia because that's the first sign of warm season because we pretty much have two seasons. We have warm season and then we have shut-in season. <laughs> and when warm season pops off, Artaworld is when the, the sirens go off. Like, let's fucking go. And I've had friends fly in. Uh, I've had family fly in who have very little to no experience in the Twin Cities who've come here for Artaworld and are like, what the fuck is this? Why don't more people know about this? And I'm like, it's already too busy. You don't need to call mm -hmm. your friends. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> shush, shush, shush. <laughs> yeah. So we know how to get down and it's cool when people figure that out. Uh, I'm not saying like everyone needs to know, but we can, we can get down here. The, the thing that I would say, um, what people think about us that is true. And once again, I, I'll, I'll also go a negative route. It's Minnesota nice is a real thing. Mm -hmm. It's also why Minnesotans, not all of them, but Minnesotans who subscribe to Minnesota niceness, which is passive aggressiveness, let's call it, call it what it is, mm -hmm. 
a lot of those people think that people in cities where you were invited to be more open, they think that those communities are rude. That's why you hear, that's why like your aunt will come back from a trip to New York and say, I like the food, but I hate the people. And someone like myself or like Guam and perhaps Kyle, if you've spent time in New York, man, New Yorkers are fucking awesome. That's home to me. It's easy to communicate with people. You can speak to anyone about just about anything. You might not like the answer, but I always want to hear what it is, right? I want you to be your authentic self and give me the answer that you want to give me, not the answer you think that I want to hear, which is quite Minnesotan. If someone queries you in Minnesota, they kind of want you to answer in a very specific way. That's how we communicate in the Midwest. Something that I don't particularly care for. And again, that's not everybody, but that's what Minnesota nice is. It's asking somebody a question and and almost being like scripted. It's like Bethesda wrote our our scripts here Mm -hmm. in the Midwest. Like you get three answers. These are the only three answers. And if you pick the wrong one, someone's drawing a sword. <laughs> so that's, I would say, that how that's you doing? Not real. too bad. Cause yeah. you can't say I'm doing well. You got to say I'm not doing too bad. Ooh. Like it could be worse, but I'm not great. You oh man. Know. Weather. Huh? Yep. It's either hot or it's beautiful. Like we only get a few of these yep. or, Oh, I'm just tired of it being cold. Like we have all these canned answers. Uh, like we're ready to go. Yeah. Cute. It's, it's almost like the whole Midwest did the, the preamble before being a guest on a talk show. Like, hey, I heard you've uh, heard you have some thoughts about the weather, and you're like, "Yep, it's uh, making a good hot dish, are yep, you? Pretty hot, yep." <laughs> so, well, wait, can I tell my? I have a great New York story. I've been in New York a few times. My wife lived there for a long time, so I've gone with her, which is fun because she owns that city, so she really knows where to go. Yeah. My first time there, it was literally a layover. I was just at LaGuardia, which is the coup de gras of New York. <laughs> and so I had like this quick layover and it I was my favorite New York airport. <laughs> and I ran outside and I found a guy and I was like, Hey, I'm sorry, man. Do you have a cigarette? I could bum. This is back when I smoked cigarettes. Do you have a cigarette? I could bum. And he goes, yeah, kind of curt. That's fine. Hands me a cigarette. And I go, uh, do you have a lighter too? And he goes, you want me to fucking smoke it for you? <laughs> And I was like, here's that New York niceness I've heard about. I'm like, the, the big city, but the little city boy comes to New York. But I was like, hey, can I bum a smoke? Sure. And like, it was so direct and yeah. rude, but also I think I was bothering him. <laughs> but then I used his lighter and we didn't ever have to talk again in our lives. I hope that man's listening. <laughs> I remember you, sir. Oh, that's, that's, that's fucking perfect. And honestly, like those are the people that, that was why when I started traveling, I absolutely fell in love with the East Coast. <laughs> Philly, Baltimore, New York, Boston, D.C. Yes, tell me exactly how the fuck you feel about me, and then maybe I'll battle back, or maybe I'll just be cool. Like, whatever. I'm so happy with that. Similarly, it's like Parisian. Yeah. Like, anybody that's like, oh, I heard. They are, that's it. The French are rude. No, they're not. They're They're, fucking great. They're individuals. Yes. They're They're just, they're going to tell you how they feel. And they let you know who they are, yes. if you like it or you don't. Yeah. That guy sounds like you probably would not share a beer with him. Yeah. But it could be a different set of circumstances where you bummed a smoke from somebody who ended up being really fucking awesome and you're heading the same direction. Mm-hmm. 
And you got to become single serving friends. I will also it 100% Charles, but then also I would say if you ran into that guy an hour later at a different bar and you sent him a beer, all of a sudden you guys are best fucking friends. Yeah. That's how it works. And I am very okay with hey, that. Hey, you might've just got off some crazy ass delay. And yeah, you bumped into, yeah, you bumped into him an hour later at a bar. He might've been a totally different person. <laughs> Last guy that asked for one tried to steal his lighter. Like whatever, man, yeah. I'm, I, I get that. <laughs> I am, I'm okay with that. Plus we all know people uh, would rather give you a free beer than a free cigarette, which never has made much sense to me. <laughs> It's true. Can I get a beer? Absolutely. Can I have a cigarette? What the fuck, man? I only have 11. I only have 17 left. (laughs) What? Where am I going to find these again? Why is that a thing? Why is that a thing? I I, I think for me, the thing that I love about when people come to the Midwest, I love that they don't understand that this is where food comes from. Yeah. I, I every time I have somebody from from Europe, from Asia, one guy from Australia, and then all my friends from California, Oregon, Washington, New York, even South Carolina, North Carolina, they're floored that there's good food here. And I'm like, wh- sure. where what where do you think like most of the things come from? Like this is the farmland that yeah. built what we have as America, and. I really love introducing people to that. I think that's a beautiful thing. And, and I, I, can, I can say that in the last couple of weeks, I was in Madison, Wisconsin and Milwaukee, Wisconsin, absolutely deserving of all of the accolades they've been getting for their restaurant scene. Um, Kyle, going down to visit you. Like I said, I went, I went there. We came up with that idea because of barbecue. And Fox and Pearl swept me off my feet. Yeah, that so good. that experience and watching it, it's an open kitchen in the restaurant, mm. and so it it basically is almost like a second bar, is where the food is coming from. So it's not even like like glass walls or anything. Like, yeah, it's yeah, in yeah. the restaurant, and it was so wonderful seeing the devotion to the craft that was going on there, and then hearing where a lot of those vegetables and proteins came from. Yeah, that that is to me. That is an absolutely integral part of understanding our food culture. See, and now we just got to get you back there during marrow season. Girl, it's it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Short window. I do think something that's interesting, though, too, because obviously, so on MasterChef this season, they called it the United Tastes of America. I had the dad joke every day. I was like, I think they misspelled states. (laughs) Every day I thought that was funny. Repetition equals humor. Um, but I do think that, so the West is California, and the Northeast is New York, and the South is Alabama, Mississippi, Florida. The Midwest is everything else, question mark? Yes. And I think there was, because then, like, Kennedy, she's from Denver, but she's in the West. And it's weird, because we are, like, this nebulous, Sarah was in the Midwest, she's from Springfield, and I made that joke. They're like, so you're both from Missouri? And I was like, no. I'm from Missouri. She's from Missouri. Yes. I'm like, if you order biscuits and gravy in Kansas City, there's sausage. If you order it down there, it's like chocolate gravy made with Hershey's. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, it's a thing. All right. I'm apparently going to fight with Missouri now because that's not okay. (laughs) Um, You've ruined mole and gravy in one run. Oh, it's actually really good. Damn it. All right, fine. I'll try it. Fresh biscuits covered in like a chocolate sauce. Like it's just, uh, it's... Okay. Yeah, it's a different mood you're arriving with when you're ordering <laughs> very, that. Very, very much. Yeah. But I do think that's, I mean, it's even weird for me because obviously, like, this is where I live and where I grew up. And I did. I worked outside Duluth and lived in Wisconsin. And I went to KU. And so, like, the Midwest is where I'm from. And then it's, like, two of the five people in the Midwest are from Ohio. 
And that's just kind of a weird thing for me because, <laughs> yeah. like, mentally, when I'm, like, picturing, quote, unquote, the Midwest, mm-hmm. it's like Iowa, Nebraska. Like, honestly, more Colorado because I grew up in Kansas. And I'm like, where, isn't Ohio, like, right below New York or something? And I, I know where it is. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like you think about it being far out there. And I think that's another tricky thing about the Midwest mm-hmm. is I think West Coast, it's very much defined by an ocean, and the landmass, and then you think like Vegas and stuff like that's still the West, but it's kind of out there. And then it is like the Northeast is totally its own beast. The South has so many kind of cultural distinctions, and then the weather's very different in the South, and the language sounds different. And then the Midwest is what is the Midwest? Are we in it right now? Yes, but we're also North. North, and then so that's where it just kind of. For I me, could I could make an, a a better argument for us being like a separate North Coast thing you know like i it's not the it's not the grain prairies of kansas missouri and like i i there there is a difference but we are just sort of in that middle area where there's not enough people for whoever the powers that be are to decide that this is more functional but if you actually start to look at like the area around chicago and then you have like the the rust belt from ohio like there's a lot more regions so there's the Great Lakes area, like the yeah. Others. I mean, let's let's be honest. That that particular area, like Pennsylvania, Ohio, is like the Erie yep. region, right? One hundred percent. We have smaller enclaves, but the broader populace thinks of us as just as blob of. That's the middle part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that how? They, don't the beard awards? Don't they do like the Great Lakes are one of the regions? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So then yes. there's like five. That's part of the reason I brought it up is because yeah, that makes that sense. I, I, thing. Yeah. So, well, all right, so to, to bring it all the way back, I guess, I think the thing that, that people get right is that we are in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> like, I, I, do, I do have to admit, it is weird. Like, I didn't realize that, somewhere, Claude. Well, yeah, but, like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize really until I started extensively traveling in Europe how funny it is that you have to drive, if you're in Minneapolis or St. Paul, you have to drive four to six hours in any direction to get to anything else that's interesting. And in Europe, you'd be through like nine countries. Correct. And if you go go up the coast, imagine all the things that you go through in four to six hours of driving. Mm -hmm. Like you can completely change cooking cultures in in half of that time. Right. And I do think that that's a valid point, that it is hard to explore. Like you can fuck around and like I've done it before. I've driven from D.C. to New York to Boston and up to, I guess we stopped in Connecticut that time. But then my wife and I flew to Boston and drove to Portland, Maine and drove back down. And I watch every hour. It was almost different. And here, like you, you can go through. It's, it's just so massive. And I think that's something that people do get right. It's hard to try and figure out what you like in the Midwest unless you're going to do a bunch of separate city stops. Yeah, right. You know, There's people who every weekend will drive literally five hours to their cabin for 36 hours and drive five hours back. And they do it every weekend mm-hmm. in the summer. Ten hours of driving every weekend just to go to this little house by a lake. That's what, the same is, with the Ozarks. Yep. Ozarks people yes, that yes. from Kansas City drive down yeah. to the Ozarks. This is, that's what people do. It's, it's context. Yeah, and you, it's you, context, you, right? Yeah. And it, and, and, and it is, like, if you're, um, if you're transportation weary, if, you're, if you 
simply can't be in a car that long or you don't have a car mm-hmm. um, or, or travel is hard for you, it is hard. It, it, we make it hard yeah. to go anywhere because we have a lack of transportation outside of a car on a highway. And I think that is something, I don't know how to tackle that problem on like a, a bigger scale, but I think that is, if we want to stop being flyover country, we also have to figure out how to make it more accessible for people to understand these differences. And to me, that's, that's high-speed rail. If we could ever figure that out, I think that would be massive oh, yeah. for this area overdue. of the country. Yeah, we're way overdue. Yeah, yeah. Elon Musk will fix that for you. Oh, <laughs> so mad. <laughs> All right, I need to have a drink for that, so uh, I'm going to choose you guys on that. Do a drink. Um, do we want to keep going with the horse feather, or do you... Oh, I guess, Kyle, you just re-upped. Maybe let's... Uh, That's okay. I, Charles, should we uh, re-up one more, and then we can switch to what Kyle brought? I'm just going to drink some Makers, and then we'll move on to the next Um Is it you, or is it me next? Uh, it is me. Okay, do you want to ask, and I'll go get the bottle? Show. All right, where are we at? Let me pull up. Topic number three. Okay, yeah, so we're still talking about regions, uh, but this is this can be in the country, in the world. So, Kyle, name a regional food or drink from anywhere around the world that you haven't had from the source, but would love to make a special trip just for that thing. Wow. I have a lot of answers. Yeah. Um, can no I give doubt. you two? Wait, wait. We're going for a daily double. Uh, uh, a high high, if you will. Um, we went for the deuce deuce. Oh, hell yeah. That's our first, in three years of recording, that's our first double deuce deuce reference. I'm so happy. Oh, my God. So I want to do a food, and then I want to do a beverage. Um, so I taught high school English for a half decade. I taught for about a decade. Then I moved into beer and spirits. There was a moment right before I moved in to do beer full time. I was doing these, this underground supper club I called Food Underground Kansas City. So it was F U K C, and the Velvet <laughs> Underground Banana was our logo. That's yeah. so great! So oh I my like, God, I love you so much. <laughs> so I was going pretty heavy into oh, certain so things. I think I know you're like this. I don't know if you are, Charles, but like hundred percent. If I get passionate about something, I just go on it. So there was a snow day and my good friend, uh, John Redden had given me this book called charcuterie by Michael Rollman. It's a great book. And the first 70 to 80 pages are just words. They don't even get into anything. And what he talks about is that a couple hundred years for recipe. Yeah. (laughs) 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 But like, you know, I think most of my time I would skip that, but I I had changed my my mind, my thinking a little bit, and I had a snow day. And so I've got a pot of coffee, and I open up charcuterie, and I read like the first 70 pages. And he gets to this whole history that like the the first four letters of charcuterie are C-H-A-R, and it's actually related to that word char we use. And you couldn't sell raw meat in France because it was all going to go bad and kill everybody. So butcheries legitimately did something to preserve it. They smoked it. They cured it. Whatever. So it's like this historical thing. And then he's talking about all these methods that have worked over time. I, I would love to go to France and go down some rabbit holes with people that deal with meat uh, using some of those kind of traditional, mm. the people that, I mean, like, you know, I can get, I can get a uh, terrine at Cerdix, right? 
mm-hmm. cheese shop. I can get it anywhere. Solid Minnesota cred shout out too. Thank you. Um, but then like if I'm, uh, I actually worked on a washed cheese that we sold at Cerdex. It was really awesome. That's amazing. Um, yeah, but so I think like that kind of, I actually was able to go to the Italian countryside. That's a whole nother story altogether for a wedding. And I got to eat everything and it was one of the most amazing meals of my life. So I've done that. The, the, the French thing is something I haven't done. Mm. And getting a chance to go eat it at the source, see where it's at, you know, like a Bayonne ham, the ham that hangs by the sea that has the saltiness in it. And there's all these like things. Like I would love to have a Sherpa to just take me around. Yeah. yeah. So there's number one. Same trip when I went to Italy. Um, I had hoped we would make it to Belgium. I was with a couple buddies, and we were in our mid-20s. We missed Belgium. Um, Belgium and or Germany, they're very different. But as a beer person, those are beer places that are defined by the place. And like you said with food, right, a lot of the bars I'm going to go in in Minnesota actually have some of the same beers on tap that I see in Kansas City. Of course. When you go to Germany... And you go from town to town, not only are they not the same, some cities have completely different styles than that other city. Right. And, you know, we know that the, the German laws revolved around the making of beer and who could and couldn't have the ingredients. Mm-hmm. And so Germany or Belgium, I'm sorry to hedge my bets there. That's the true deuce, deuce, deuce. Um, there's, a, there's a zero loss Perfect. result in that. I mean, you're going to be happy no matter what. Good. <laughs> but it is like either of those places. Um, to be in the place where these things kind of started and they're the same as they were 500 years ago, but they've just refined it over time yeah. to make it a little bit better and to understand some of that. I think either of those kind of places going to the source would just be insane experiences. Yeah, in Belgium, like breathing in the yeast of the Seine Valley yeah. that is the magic yeast that makes the world's best and only Lambic. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something to that, absolutely. Um, um, uh, should we just switch it to a food and a beverage for yeah, all three of us? Yeah. I, I feel like that... Hit the, you better hit the button again. Well, I mean, all right, we're just going to do... <laughs> a round of daily doubles. <laughs> for me, I, I agree with you that... As somebody who has been able to go to uh, Belgium and to Germany to have beers, it really is, it's a way of changing how you feel about beers and understanding. I think anytime you can get to the root of what you love, where you are, mm-hmm. you can figure out what it tastes like from the source. It's a really, really beautiful thing. And I am kind of forever on that quest of trying to figure out, like, if I fall in love with something, then I want to figure out, well, where is it from? And then how do I get there to try that? For a beverage, uh, I really, I have sort of fallen in love with the idea of uh, going to Scotland and trying yeah. scotch at the distilleries. After That's being cool. so fortunate to go to Ireland last year and try Irish whiskey and go to the the Irish whiskey museum and do the whole tour and talk to the guy afterwards for way longer than he wanted to talk to me. There's just something different about smelling the air of where you are. Charles, you nailed it. Like to smell that the, the air that provided that yeast that they used to call God's breath when they didn't know what it was that was fermenting the beer. They literally thought 
it was God breathing into that vat that made it turn into made that. It's alcohol. Right. You know, you go back to, to Ireland. I mean, the, the origin of the term whiskey is the water of life, Ishkava. Yeah. You know, and then, then my people took it from them after paying slash threatening the monks in Ireland. They turned it into Akavit, which is also the water of life, which then translates to Odavi in France, which is also the water of life. Jeez, I threaten a monk and I get kicked out of the monastery. See? <laughs> They're just waiting for me to pull out a broadsword. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of PTSD when, when a Viking shows up in the mainland Europe monastery. But um, Scotland has so much of a similarity, both genetically and physically, to Scandinavia that I really want to stand on the north coast of Scotland and smell the air, smell the actual peat, not the, not the smoked peat. I want to smell the actual peat bogs mm. that inform what the flavor of scotch is because the day that I became a fan of scotch is still a memory, a very tactile memory that I have. And that was 23 years ago. And I just, I want to get there partly because there is a very, very huge kinship between the two cultures, but also because most places have their distilleries in cities mm. and Scotland's distilleries are all out the fuck in the middle of nowhere on the coast where the only thing there is that distillery. And I want to experience that. I want to get the whole thing. Basically, I want to be in the Highlander, but instead of having to kill somebody, I can just have I can just kill the fuck out of a glass of scotch. It's also like language immersion because how else could you immerse yourself so deeply in so many scotches that you would notice all the intricacies that make them different? That's from it. Yeah. I I, point. I desperately want I want to experience that, mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that I might be able to pull that off next year. Uh, I'm working on an idea right now. But that, that beverage-wise, that's it for me. When it comes to food, I think the thing that I'm the most beguiled by is the, the desperate want to taste the cuisines of China. Not Chinese food that we know here in America, not Chinese food that we know in Europe. I want to travel around a country that is so fucking massive that it breeds the same, if not more, cooking cultures that the U.S. does. Like hundreds. Only it's instead of over, if you include indigenous people in the U.S., what is now the U.S. or North America, um, where it was a, like, it was over the course of thousands of years, but a lot of it was very um, tribal and moving with the herds. In China, you have the same food cultures of actual cities that have grown for five, six, seven thousand years. Yeah, I really, really want to try and and navigate that at some point in my life before I die. I know that there's no chance that I'll ever be able to like try everything, right? But to travel and to taste different regions in China's cuisine, yeah, to me. Like when I look up, when I try to look, like I'm, I'm just from, from where I'm sitting in the, the interwebs, I'm trying to just look up, like give me an authentic recipe so I can try and even understand the flavors that are in there. And there are recipes, there are plenty of websites that have really authentic um, 
recipes from Beijing and uh, like all different regions of China. But even reading it, I, I can't, like, we can't get our hands on a lot of those ingredients. Imagine the number of recipes or the ma- the number of dishes you could consume traveling around China that you cannot find any recipes Correct. For. Yeah. The, the, they just don't exist. Or that and people just aren't, you know, the weird, wild, and fun shit. Mm-hmm. You're just not going to find that in a recipe that is published on the internet. And I, f- I feel the English same. language. I feel yeah. the same thing with, like, Southeast Asia when it when it starts to, to transfer into all the different islands. Where then you have all those different like island winds blowing and all these different like influences of other Asian cultures that are in that. I think that that is also very, that's, a, that's another siren song that I am drawn to. But looking at China where you have coastal, you have plains, you have mountains, you have the steppe plane, something that we can't even understand like the steppe plane that leads into Mongolia that then leads from there north into Russia, that is an entirely separate ecosystem on Earth. Never mind the underground caves that literally run for the size of other countries. Yes. Like, to me, it's impossible to not, not just feel like I'm missing out. Like, I feel like I have, like, one-eighth of a pie graph colored in super hard. And then there's some others that are shaded, but over half of it is just still just blank and empty. And I think that that to me is where it, because you have, you have influence from indigenous people in Eastern, what is now Russia. You have influence from the steppe plane. You have influence from like the Chinese empires for millennia who were so far ahead of everyone else in the world, philosophically, uh, academically, yep. and then also just in their own cooking cultures. That to me, like in the same way that I love reading about um, the Greek and Roman philosophers about politics, if I want to understand where we are now, I have to find places that have figured this out thousands of years before. Yeah. And to me, that, that, is, that is a vault that I hope to tap into, I guess. So you guys are talking these recipes. I, <laughs> I I can't remember if it's Japanese or Chinese, but there's a this thing called Sparrow's Nest Soup. You guys familiar with this? Yes. Yep. yep. So and I, I had no Chinese. clue, and it came up, and I was like, okay. So I looked up a recipe, and the recipe is like three quarts lukewarm water. Yeah. One sparrow's nest, <laughs> and those were the ingredients. So I was like, oh, really? Okay. So then I start looking up sparrow's nest. And yeah, you've got to climb a cliff. Mm-hmm. Get, so like the sparrow's nest is at the cheapest, like twenty four hundred dollars. So it's like, but like that, like that doesn't. The recipe actually doesn't make me understand the soup Correct. at all. Correct. I have no clue. But it's like regurgitated, like the whatever. It was one of those things where you go down this rabbit hole, yeah, and you just spit. get more. It is literally, con- their spit. Yeah. So they're spitting up their yes. own thing. Someone has to climb up and get it. And then you just boil it in water, and then that's a $2,500 soup. But I couldn't really get any information for why this is great other than it's that rare. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, it's I like sh- an expensive and luxurious thing. It's also hard to access. Also, like, it's hard to find sparrows' nests anymore. I don't know if this is still the case, but I remember, like, reading this expose probably 15 years ago about how you can't even fucking find a sparrow's nest because people were just, like, Correct. taking them all to make soup. <laughs> yeah. So this is another just... In, insane story. When I taught in Korea, my mother came over with my sister to visit. And um, 
my boss was like, hey, I'd love to take your mom out to dinner. And I was like, cool, sounds good. And then a couple days later, he's like, when am I taking your mother to dinner? He's like, you need to understand, like in this culture, if your mother were to travel here and I did not take her, it would be a shameful for oh. my family. And I was like, oh, I didn't, I thought you were just being Minnesota nice, dude. <laughs> I, I thought you were just offering. So my mom and my sister came up to the school I worked at. They kind of got to meet some kids. And then we went with my boss. And we went to a restaurant. And it was based on traditional Korean cooking. Mm. So all the waitresses were wearing like traditional hanbok, like dresses. And so they would come over to the table and they would set down this plate of food in between the four of us. And my boss would have a lengthy conversation with the waitress that always ended with him saying something and her like covering her hand and being like, <laughs> like he made her laugh. And then he would turn to my mother and he would say, Okay, uh, Mrs. Hopkins, uh, what's in front of us right now is a traditional uh, Korean mushroom dish. Uh, this would have been served to royalty around, uh, and then he'd turn and ask more questions, and he'd come back. Between the 13 and 1500s, come on. Uh, these mushrooms come from a specific forest. It's in the southern part of Korea. Uh, they only grow for a certain amount of time. Now, you can see they've been sliced this specific direction. Uh, they were cooked on a bed of pine needles that come from the same forest. It's a very traditional... Um, presentation would you please try this and then my mom would have to take a bite before the waitress was allowed to leave the table and then wow. she would be like it's divine and then she'd be like oh so then he would tell the waitress she could leave and i think we did like 11 or 12 and like Amazing. a whole fish came, but everything had a story and like you know when i was in korea i got comfortable i made some friends i, I knew my restaurants Obviously, I wasn't allowed in every porridge <laughs> restaurant, but, but like we had our barbecue spots and we had our bakeries and our bars, and I, I was comfortable. This was an experience I never could have given my mother sure. and my sister. So having him do that, it was, I, I, you know, I kind of felt like I was inconveniencing him, and it's like I got to hang out with my boss tonight, and it was just the most magical. I mean, I would love to do something like that uh, if you're in China absolutely. and someone can just say, "Hey." So this is black beans. They ain't the black beans no. from Mexico. These aren't the black beans you buy in your Asian market either. This is how we do black yeah. beans in this part. That's that's what I want. Yeah. Where it's an entire, like, the world has figured it out thousands of years over and over and over again. And you should just shut the fuck up and try this. Yeah. That, that's what I want. Charles, where, where are you on that? Also, like, I frequently refer to just kind of my fascination with the types of foods that emperors would have been eating. Yeah. That kind of experience. Because, you know, you, you could get street food. You can get, like, mm -hmm. the easy stuff. But there are also places, these dining halls that, like, Anthony Bourdain went to where it's this cavernous, beautifully ornate hall that it serves these dishes that are literally thousands of years old. That kind of experience would really, that would hit on a whole different level. So while we're on, I guess, talking about Bourdain, for me, I guess, I'm going to look at this like if I'm traveling somewhere specifically to have a dish and, hell, we were talking about roasting pigs. I like to do suckling pigs on my spit rotisserie over my giant grill, my, my Yoder grill. I've had crispy skin lechon in San Juan. I've had it in Spain. Man, going to the Philippines, going to Cebu, and having the crispy lechon there, where, you know, that was where Bourdain's favorite crispy pigs were located, and he had them all. That would be 
absolutely fucking fantastic. Because that's the kind of thing also that it's worth seeking out the best of that thing. Yeah. You know, like that's something that if you go to where they make the best of that, it is going to be worth every penny. And it would be, for me, it would be, I, I haven't really dreamed of going to the Philippines. That for me would be like the best reason currently in my mind. I'm sure I'd find many great reasons after traveling there. But that would be the greatest reason to go there. But then you'll be ruined. You'll never be able to have a McRib again. <laughs> well, whoa, 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 whoa. Let us not besmirch the McRib. It is a separate food item elevated and to the side of all other food items. Hang on a second. And just know that when I say food item, that is in very hard scare quotes. <laughs> Professor McRib over here. Damn right. Yeah. Double pickle, no onion. I fuck with the McRib heavy. Yeah, you do. I haven't had a McRib since I was like seven, so... Pussy. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so I'm going to do... Uh, Actually, wait. I, I, I have been making a, a, an effort in my life to not use the word pussy anymore. I want to say testicle because there is nothing fine. more fragile and gentle and averse to pain than a testicle. It's really subversive. I like that. Mm -hmm. That's fine. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a strike in one of mine. I like the fact that you were like, I'll take it. I'm like, cool. No, not like a punt. Okay. No Roshan boys. <laughs> Thank you very much. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do reverse snipe because I'm Ooh. actually impressed you didn't say this, which I think if we want to, uh, to, to equate it to a meme, it's the Spaceman meme. And you say, <laughs> it's agave? And I say, always was. It always was. <laughs> so Oaxaca, agave, easy answer. I don't need to contextualize it. What I will say is it's also a tip of the cap to... Former guest, Todd Oof. Mulher, and um, Nick and Ian, who came with him on the show as well. Escondido, that incredible agave bar that is the best agave bar in the Midwest, is actually closing. From the time we're recording, uh, it's closing this week. Uh, for good, they're closing. I know that Todd will be working on something new, mm -hmm. so I don't want to actively mourn it, not knowing what he's got coming next, which I'm sure will be fucking Dope. great. I don't think we've set on air yet even that... He gave us a small bottle on the show that he said, this isn't for the program. This is for you guys to enjoy later. We've enjoyed that bottle on two different occasions, and we have just a little bit left, and it is fucking dynamite. So if he ends up somehow importing and, and retailing that, that would be um, incredible. So we're looking forward to what they do next. But yeah, easy answer, Agave. I don't have to give you all the reasons why. It's somewhere that it's something that I haven't done that it feels like I'm well overdue to do, and we've done multiple episodes on Agave. So agave in Oaxaca. Can I take a second and just give uh, give Escondido their flowers? And in our podcast, the flowers come in the form of genie sprinkles. So to Escondido, you were absolutely magical. Thank you so much. And that bottle absolutely fucked my world up. Fantastic. And I'm so excited to see wherever Todd goes from this. But man, that's a that one's a hard one to take. When, Charles, when you texted me that, I, I had to take a, f a few deep breaths. Um, to our listeners that maybe haven't listened to the Todd episode, please do. Todd Mulher was an incredible guest. Uh, both of his friends that ended, or coworkers that ended up being on the show as well were wonderful. But um, Kyle, just so you know, it was, uh, or it is for the rest of this week, an agave bar where you can walk in and they will literally walk you through any aspect of any agave. Uh, Time Magazine named it one of the 15 best places to Plant. get agave in the U.S. Plant type. 
age region. Yeah. Wow. And we Gene we pool, had it in our neighborhood, and it was the most magical place. It, oh. awesome. So, uh, again hoping that this just turns into something bigger and better but uh that that's one it, it's going to be hard for me not to mourn for a while well cheers to yeah cheers to escondido and to nick ian and todd and agave at large and all these things that we love and enjoy um kyle what do you do you do you feel like maybe we switch to yeah you want to nerd out yeah I would love to. I, uh, I would love to have a pour of that, and then maybe. Uh, do you want me to talk about it a little bit? And you yeah, want yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about it? And then maybe well, while so you open it, I'll I'll pour yeah, a nice bottle. Okay, so yeah. this is kind of my world, man. Um, I do beer, I do food, and I like to combine them in pleasurable ways. Um, I started doing like food and beer pairings a long time ago, and it's funny. People are like, "How did you start?" And I'm like, um, "I started. <laughs> like, how'd you start a podcast?" You didn't get to number 10 <laughs> until you'd done one through nine. And, yep. and I did some, oh, this IPA has pininess. Let's cook, put, I'm going to grill lamb and see how it goes. And you're like, oh, shit, that's good. Um, and so it kind of has been this process for me over time. Um, and I thought this would just be fun to nerd out a little bit. So, like, one of the things I do is I, I, I think I've shared this with you before, Quam, but mm-hmm. I use the Flavor Bible. Yeah, absolutely. Core. When I'm creating a menu, if you guys, listeners, don't know the Flavor Bible, it is such an amazing book. And it just basically lists foods and then other foods that like to be near that food. Can I pause you for a second? Yes. Uh, This was also a suggestion from uh, the same former guest of the podcast, Eric Eastman. Uh, Yeah, to us. And uh, it is one of my favorite things that I own. 100%. 100%. So I brought this very special beer from Leafman's. This was in my cellar. It's a it's their Cuvée Creek. So talking Belgian beers. This is a Belgian. Uh, a Creek is going to be a sour beer. Oh. And it's got cherries in it. I think it's a seven or eight years old. And this is one of the kind of beers you actually can let age. So when I start doing something like this, um, I start with the beer. Um, you know, if you don't know this beer, maybe you've heard of Madame Rose from Goose Island. Um, or even Rosetta from Oma Gang. And both of those beers are named after um, Rosa Merckx, who was the first female uh, brewmaster in Belgium. Mm-hmm. She, like, lives on... She used to. She just passed away. But she lived on the property. I remember hearing stories that uh, Leafmans would trade beer to the local villagers for their cherries. So we're talking about the air in this region affects the beer, and then they're actually using cherries that are grown in the same soil. Um, There's so many cool things happening, and she truly is, um, you know, we talk in in brewing right now with, like, the Pink Boots Society and trying to make that tent a little bigger for everybody. Uh, This is a woman who has been a, a leading innovator in brewing for decades, in one of the kind of epicenters of brewing. Um, and, and I know she's credited with changing this recipe a little bit. I think she added some darker malts. Um, it's actually a pretty dark beer, right? It's like an Oud Brune. Um, yeah, it's like, a, it's like a, a deep ruby garnet. So I also brought some... I, uh, I'm trying to really get my Minnesota street cred. Right. <laughs> you're, you're, so you're doing well. I stopped by Patisserie... 46. 46. I had an amazing... Uh, I like ordered a brioche, uh, a chicken sandwich on brioche with some slaw, and it was really good. And then she's like, anything else? And then I proceeded to order eight pastries. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love that she's like, 
is this for here to go? And I was like, that is the most kind question. But you're not even judging me if I'm about to just sit down and eat one dainty chicken sandwich followed by eight eat pastries. Pastries. So this is kind of one of my nerd things, but I love this. And I've taught other people this, and I think it works. So I would put, like, this is such a, an easy one. But if you start looking at, like, the notes of a beer, you can start. I do webs. So, like, an IPA might have, like nectarine or grassiness or whatever. So then I will, with this, let's take cherries, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm trying to create a dish to pair with this, I start using the flavor Bible to go off in different directions. So almonds, mm -hmm. right? That's going to work with this. Yep. I, I brought a peanut butter cookie. That's another direction because I'm thinking peanut butter and jelly. I'm thinking about that contrast and the complementary ways they're going to work together. Mm -hmm. uh, I brought chocolate. Chocolate-covered cherries. You're creating something that people are familiar with, but it's going to be a little different. Um, and then going the opposite direction, I brought, like, this lemon tart that lemon loves being with other fruits. Lemon is already a little bit sour. Also, lemon to, to brighten up and acidify a, a sweet cherry is a gorgeous pairing. Totally. And so I think one of the things I've learned all along is that, you know, sometimes a pairing sounds great on paper. It just doesn't end up working. And a big part of that is uh, we use the word intensity when we talk pairings. And I think I had trouble understanding that at first. But it's, it's how, how bold and crazy the flavors are in the beer and the food. Mm. And, and if the food is too intense and the beer can't match it, you're going to lose it. Yep. And if the beer is too intense and it's going to overpower the food, that's not a good pairing. So sometimes that's the trick is you know chocolate and cherries should work. But there's just something a little off. I think the other issue I've had sometimes is that, like, you know, if you want to, you can put a color red with a light color red, and even though they're the same color, they work together. But if they're, like, just right too close to each other, they look ugly. So sometimes, like, a cherry dessert with this, I don't know. You know, I don't know if that would work. So you have to test it out and see if you really get a bridge. And I cheated. I just brought awesome pastries somebody else made. But if I was really thinking about a cherry beer like this, like, and you guys should play this game, too. Like, duck? Like a duck crust with this? Absolutely. I, I mean, I honestly, what I want to do, like, even just saying duck, I just want to make a pan sauce with yeah. a splash of that. Yeah. And how like, about some, how about the blue cheese? Mm -hmm. This would go well with a lot of different cheeses. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you're not reinventing the wheel, putting beer and cheese together. But finding the unique nature of this, and then what, what's going to happen? You know, I am a certified Cicerone, and when it, you have to, like, get a 70% to pass that test. I think I got, like, a 72, 73, whatever. These get degrees, baby. But there's a section on food and beer pairing, and I got, like, 98%. And people are like, wow, that's really impressive. And I was like, what the, what the fuck's the other 2%? Like, who, t who is telling me I'm wrong? Because it's on paper. You can't be wrong. Tell me what dish I did not nail. Because it is, it's, especially on paper, it's just subjective. Mm -hmm. And when someone's like, oh, yeah, well, you, you know, we don't really do white wine with pork. Get Why not? fuck you out should. of here. But you know what I mean, though? Like, yep. rules are made to be broken. And I get it. Absolutely. There's certain probably pairings that maybe we don't even need to experiment. But saying, okay, so I want to put this with blue cheese. So the only thing that matters is the answer to Why? What is why? What do you think is going to happen? What is blue cheese going to do? And well, I think the cherry is going to act like a cherry compote. It's going to taste like a composed cheese bite. And I think that that it's such a strong nasally blue cheese. If you really get something nice and creamy, you're going to get a really nice textural contrast. I have a reasons. Mm -hmm. You can disagree with me, and we can taste it, and you can right. hate it. But it's same thing with food, right? There's a reason 
there's more than one dish on a menu because different people like different things. And, and the same is true with pairings. I, whenever I do events, I love making this joke. I, mean, I, I do dad jokes. But I always do this joke where I'm like, okay, so this is important. I'm going to kind of tell you my tasting notes. And I'm going to tell you why I put these together and what I'm tasting. But just to be clear, everyone's palates are different. Yep. And you're going to taste something different than me. Now, I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> but you still can have a pick. Yeah. I want you to. <laughs> we, we talk about a lot on this show. We talk about, like, don't yuck my yum. Yeah. Like, if I like a thing, like that's a Mc, okay. Like a McRib? <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> the Eric Eastman trifecta is yep. your mouth. There we are. It's your mouth. Whatever you're putting in your mouth, as long as you're okay with it, all right? Like, there you go. Yeah, in, it, 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 in pairing something like a, a Lambic with a blue cheese might pull more funk out of the aged bottle mm -hmm. of Lambic that wasn't otherwise present. So there's there's so many directions you can... Also, the blend of the acids from the cheese to the Lambic, sure. it oh, yeah. also might make that cheese taste a little creamier, taste a little bit sweeter. Mm. Like there's the, the, the salinity versus the sweetness. There are so many amazing things that can come out of those pairings. And it's... If for anybody to say that that's wrong, like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Right? White this, wine this with pork. really nice. Like, Pujolet yeah, Nouveau yeah. with fish, I'm in. Like, like, let's go. I'm sorry. I can make you a delicious, savory Cajun fish that will taste great with a red wine. That yeah, would absolutely sure. stop the fuck out of a white wine. Like, just figure out why you want to do it. And if it works for you, serve it. Go with it. Yeah. Mm. I'm let's go. Point. Well, let's... Uh, Cheers a little bit of this. Cheers. Cheers, guys. This is, uh, Kyle, thank you. This is absolutely delightful. I already snuck a taste. I was, I, I told you, I went down to my cellar. I was like, what's something fun and cool? And I was like, oh, mm. I want to bring that. The, the bright cherry and then right into that sort of like sweet caramel, almost like a light molasses note. Yeah. I'm going to grab desserts because actually the slight bit of oxidation on this is giving me a note of cocoa. And with the cigar, yeah, I want to taste the chocolate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually wondering how well this would go with the cigar. It's nice, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yep. Well, and that in the cigar that we gave you, too, like I think that's going to really work in on the chocolate note. Okay. But while he's grabbing that, uh, let me ask you the next question. I'm ready. All right, so it's a perfect day. You're out in the yard. Cooking something on the grill. This night might be the last night that we get before, like, the cold front moves in. We all know that moment. Anywhere in a northern climate, you know when you're looking at the forecast, and you're like, this is kind of my last good weekend, and then it's going to get cold. And it might get warm again, but you know this might be it. What are you cooking, and what are you playing on your speaker? Oh, wow. Like, Oh my God, this, that, that's such a, I always say this when people ask, what's your favorite beer? And I'm like, that's like asking me who my favorite child is, which is always, well, it's easy to answer someday. Kyle, if this makes you feel any better, we talk about a lot on this podcast. We talk about how every five minutes you can answer this question differently. Yeah, right. So there's no like right or wrong answer. It's just in this moment, if you had to take a deep breath and you know that this is late September, early October, and you start to see like, as you scroll down to the 10-day forecast on our apps, all of a sudden you see snowflakes, and you're mm -hmm. like, boy, this might be it. Like, I got one last, like, it's comfortable out. It's, like, low 70s. There's a breeze blowing. It's a perfect night. What are you cooking? Oh, man. What are you listening to? And I'd even throw in, if you're interested, what are you drinking? What am I drinking? 
There's just so many directions. It's funny, too, because I think there's also a philosophy thing here, right? So if it's my last night, like, do I have to go super fancy? I mean, there are no, there's no rules. But, like, mm-hmm. am I, like, am I doing, like, a tomahawk ribeye because it's my last time? and I, Or am I just, like, doing, like, the most comforting chicken thighs in the world, which is, like, my wife's favorite? Um, I mean, I think... I actually think I might go chicken thighs, and that's crazy. Not at but all. Chicken thighs Not are... Not crazy at all. And it's it's one of those things, too. Again, my life is incredibly impacted by the fact that I'm a father, and I have a job, and I have a mortgage, and I have stresses. And I used to, at some point, be able to commit seven days to one meal and not even think about it. But also, now that's <laughs> so hard. So I was going to say, like, shout out to all those people that don't have stresses or mortgages or yeah, congrats. Yeah, you're you're awesome. I don't know how that works, but yeah. On that. So I I think you know for me though too <laughs> something that I think kind of defines who I am at the grill. So I, I don't think I'm cheating when I say this, but I think it might even be like, um, how about a cob salad? Mm. So I'm gonna grill chicken thighs. I'm gonna grill some corn to put on there. We have three chickens in our backyard. Did I grill chickens for you? Uh, we no, did sorry. not. I'm sorry, not chickens, no. eggs. <laughs> I, uh, no, I, no, no, we I did grilled not. eggs, and it actually ended up in Bon Appetit before my wife worked for Bon Appetit. Fuck and off. This, this, and this is a quick side story, but it was when I was a teacher. So the last day before spring break was also basketball, March Madness. Yeah, duh. So I end up at a bar with teachers and then at a bar with friends, and then I get home, and I told everyone to bring a steak. And so I, like, Grill everybody's steaks, different sizes, different cuts, different temperatures they all want. Absolutely perfect. I grill like eight eggs in the shell from raw to smoky, which is something I literally couldn't find on the internet. People boil them first before they smoke them. Yeah, I, I just, I, this is new to me, Charles. Is this, yeah, this is, yep. yeah. But so I went start to finish. My wife was at a wedding in Mexico. We didn't have kids yet, so I'm at the house alone. And, like, so I cook, like, five absolutely perfect steaks. I grill eggs. I've got this, like, Asian salad. Like, dinner's over, and, like, I'm like, everybody's got to go. I'm done. Like, the next day, one of my best friends was like, dude, you were having trouble walking, and you executed five perfect steaks. Everyone's like, what, is he putting eggs on the grill? And we're like, I don't think he knows what he's doing. And then you pulled them off, and they were, like, perfectly runny. It was, like, insane what we watched you do. And I was like, I'm going to go on MasterChef someday, guys. <laughs> I, I promise. Um, but so, like I said, I like to grill, right? So if it really is, so I'm doing chicken on the grill, corn on the grill. Yep. I'm going to grill eggs those on eggs. The gr- Damn right. And then I think I also, I do this thing, and this is prime season, so you, you got me in this mode. Cut a peach in half, take the pit out, yep. and then I soak it in one part balsamic, one part chambord, and I drizzle honey. Now, the beautiful thing about this is when you cook with meat, you can't put it back in the marinade or you'll die. With fruits and vegetables, yeah. you can, you, you like, you caramelize that honey, you reduce some of it, but then it goes right back in the raw balsamic honey and chambord, and then it kind of gets a little bit of that flavor. So if I've got a beautiful, I mean, it's a Cobb salad, it's salad in air quotes, because there's so mm-hmm. much meat and other stuff going on. <laughs> And then you got grilled peach. (laughs) Nine meats and an ice cream. (laughs) That's Kyle's recipe for a salad. (laughs) Um, Yes. All right, so you build the base with ice cream, (laughs) then you put one layer of cabbage, and then everything else is meats. Sorry, no, no, no. Sorry, that just got me so excited about nine meats and an ice cream. I'm still hot about that. Anyway. Okay, so there we go. So now you're saying perfect night. Um... And again, I, I, I don't exist 
in my backyard without my family. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be nearby. I think probably the most family friendly music that we listen to that we all love is the talking heads Ooh. and i could i could have something like a stop making sense on start to finish i, yeah. I mean i just I'm, I'm picturing the jonathan demi movie as it's happening for sure so i've got a giant suit on yeah, i'm wearing a giant <laughs> suit while i cook um but i think that to me there's a part of that where like that music is uppity it's fun yeah it's it's thoughtful art rock, but also my kids can just kind of bop around to it. And my wife loves the talking heads as much as I do. Um, as far as drinking, I will say, I mean, I work for Surly Brewing Company. Right now in my backyard, I have been drinking so much Logic Bomb. It's like a 5.5% juicy pail. It would go well with everything else that I'm cooking. And as a dad in the backyard, I sometimes have trouble with 12% beers all day. And I also, mm-hmm. like... If my kids are out of town, it's my wife and I, I'll drink bourbon on the rocks. But if it's 5 p.m. and I got to do bedtime at 8.30, I'd probably rather drink a 5.5% mm-hmm. juicy pale ale. All things on the table. Uh, Kyle and I met both working for Surly, Surly Brewing Company, and I will say that Logic Bomb is still one of the beers that I'm the most proud of that we put out. It's so killer. Between that and uh, uh, Before I Die, I just really love both of those beers if you're at the grill. Uh, I do not work for that company anymore, but I just do want to say that both of those are absolutely spectacular beers. Yeah. All right, I want to try some chocolate. Why don't you tell me what, right, what are your, what's your answer? Are we going to Charles? Yeah, we're going to go to Charles. Ooh. Yeah, and I did just, those fucking pastries are so Bonkers. Good. I just did, I, I cut off a piece of each three and then I set them all on the side there and then I went back and forth to the beer. Man, those things are just spectacular and the pairings really work very nicely. Oh. Uh, Especially 46, man. They're so great. So it's rare the occasion that we eat a square meal before we podcast. But today I had a super busy day and I was like really killing all my tasks. And I had a meeting that didn't go as long as I thought it was going to go. And I didn't get to grill yesterday because of this air quality situation. Mm-hmm. Not going to dampen the conversation. But this chicken that I had ready to rock, I couldn't grill yesterday. So today I found the time. To hatch back a chicken. <laughs> Inside joke. We've told the story. Spatchcocked a chicken. Hatchcock, hatchback. Grilled it to fucking perfection, which I was proud of because I grilled some chicken last weekend that I set off to the side of the grill and it sat there for too long and it wasn't, the temp wasn't right. But I do, you know, we talk about how much I love doing jerk, like real, real jerk. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about the weather's going to turn and for this season, I haven't done my big jerk di- dinner yet. So I got to do my big jerk cookout. That's my answer for sure. And we're playing reggae. You know, we're playing the Whalers. We're playing UB40, whatever. Throw on the playlist, pass the mic around. I don't care. You got to play reggae. So that's the music that we're listening to. I'm going to give this a little spin because there's a thing that I've been doing. Before, hold on. Before you give a spin, can you tell me, is there, like, I'm interested because you and I's like, our, our sort of, like, home polls are slightly different when it comes to like the music that we love the most, but we overlap a lot in the middle. Is there, I think Bob Marley is always the easy answer for Mm. folks in North America. Sure. Is there anyone else in the reggae scene that, that you would say is somebody that like jumps out to you or do you just enjoy um, like sort of just having all of the reggae that we have available to us? It's one of the only genres where, um, 
I'm not embarrassed to say it, but it's one of the only genres where I do sometimes resort to playlists because totally. I don't spend enough time, because I and I'm saying that because I should spend more time delving deeper into the artists that I know that I love uh, because I have to be reminded of it when I start listening to the playlist. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, ooh, ooh, put on, put on that album. Like that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I identify who it is and then we're like, play that album. I don't do that enough. And there was a period, I was just telling my wife about this because we ran into some friends of mine, some old friends of mine. When we were having burgers, sitting on a patio, they walked up with their dog and they were like, holy shit, Charles. And I hadn't seen them in a very long time. One of them, I used to go to reggae shows a lot with at First Ave. This was in the early two th- early mid two thousands. There were reggae shows happening at First Ave with relative frequency. And her thing was, she'd take me to reggae, and I would take her to death metal. Mm-hmm. So I was educating her on my favorite style of music, and she was educating me on hers. That's and I wish I maintained more fucking rad. I wish I maintained more knowledge. But yeah. that was also a time where she was making me CDs. Mm-hmm. So I have the CDs somewhere for sure. But I haven't cultivated saved albums for the for sure that I for like sure for sure most. so that's that's my um kind of half-baked answer no no no. That that, yeah that's great pun intended because it's reggae so, <laughs> yeah but okay the way that i'm going to give a, a little spin of this is so now when i i started doing this last summer when i hatch back a chicken and i cut the spine out i grill the spine too and i call them chicken ribs that I mean, is the best cut of fucking chicken mm. On planet Earth, you literally grill the spine with the Pope's nose still on it, and you take it like a rib, and on both sides, you get different experiences. Because on the back, back side, you get the crispy skin, and then on that other side, you get all that rib meat, like that back rib meat, and then you get that perfect chef's treat, the Pope's nose. At the very end, you just bite that all off except for the little point. The most boobable bite. Shit, dude. Yeah. If I could get those just from the butcher, like, are you going to throw those out? If I could get 40 of those suckers and jerk those, fuck. Make jerk. So is that another ribs? title? If I could get 40 of those and jerk those? Well, I was going to say that or jerk of the Pope's nose. It's also <laughs> well, a great also, title. <laughs> also, given the shape, if I jerk them, it's a little weird. <laughs> well, that alone, that sentence alone could also be. <laughs> given the shape, if I jerk those, it's a little weird. That's. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Man. So wait, I threw oh. myself a softball with these pairings, but they're all awesome. Duh. I will say something, though. I didn't, something that surprised me. The chocolate and the cherries and the cigars, all working well. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's why I waited until I saw what you brought before I gave you a cigar. Nice. (laughs) The lemon tart. um, I I was really thinking there'd be a lot of contrast, and there is. But the graham cracker crust really creates this really nice bridge to that kind of sweet, nutty, molasses-y malt Cinnamon character. and cherries, baby. So That's then you're right getting there. that bridge on the bottom base mm-hmm. note, and then the cherries and the... There's definitely some lime zest on that tart, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's limey, it's lemony. But, oh, my God, any of these... And that's what I was trying to say earlier, right? There's no such thing as wrong. There's just reasons why things should be right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there is wrong, but <laughs> but with these, with a cherry beer like this, that's this beautiful, and then these beautiful pastries, they all work. Yeah, I yeah. think my favorite is the chocolate bomb looking thing. Like, dude, oh. yes, absolutely. That's the only yeah, thing I haven't tasted pastry. yet, so I will be I will that be on that momentarily. Tommy, good. Oh, oh my God, that's good. 
This is what I enjoy doing, sitting around and eating and drinking with my friends. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we run a tough bargain around here. It's it's hard to come <laughs> hang out. Like it's super not fun and <laughs> nothing we do is is great. Uh all right, so let's see. What are we listening to, drinking and cooking? For me, I skipped the drink, but we're just gonna, oh, we're do just you want no drink some lager? But also, we're going to touch on something adjacent to it with the next. Sure, sure, sure. Topic. Uh, and and I mean, as long as it's not Colt Forty Five, you're very happy about I'll the drink Colt Forty Five. I just don't want twelve of them in my fridge. Testicle. No, um, I I honestly, the one thing that I haven't literally that I have not grilled this summer is ribs and i don't know why i've just been on this other journey trying to make i well trying slash i think i've done pretty well this summer uh at at uh brisket and i've done some uh i think i use the term hatchcocked because you were saying hatchback and it's not spatchcocked i accidentally said hatchcocked so i'm gonna go with (laughs) hatchcocked chicken uh did one turkey and honestly, if I had it to do myself, that might be how I would prefer to do turkeys if we were going to do turkey for Thanksgiving. Mm. Uh, super, yeah, I did a super heavy Cajun rub on it uh, with a compound butter. And that was the, f- the first time in probably seven or eight years that I've been like, all right, this turkey is good enough that I would sub it up for chicken. And normally I don't think that. I did my first spatchcock for Thanksgiving last year, and I was very impressed. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, it's great. Yeah, it's just awesome. Um, but I, I, I'm sad because I love ribs, and I really do feel like... There's a sound bite. I'm yeah. sad because I love ribs. <laughs> uh, I love... I, I've been working on my ribs recipe for longer than anything else that I've ever worked on. Oh, really? Uh, my original recipe that I wrote down was in 2002. And where it is now, I have, it's the only recipe where I have all of my notes. I've never erased anything. I've just added to it. And it's hilarious because where it is now is so wildly different. But it's basically my, from all of my travels through the South, it's my favorite dry rub with my favorite sauce. So it's a very heavy peppered, brown sugared, spiced with cumin and brown sugar uh, dry rub. And then it's a mustard and tomato barbecue sauce based uh, sauce. Yeah. And it makes me happy. It's, it's literally living in Minnesota. It's like, I can just take the best of all of the barbecues together and do that. Uh, I do an apple cider vinegar mop on it. So I kind of literally hit all of the regions and it, turns out to me to be the just the best flavor it's tart it's salty it's spicy it's savory all together and then again it's just fall apart meat like there's nothing better than that if i'm doing that i'm 100 percent listening to 70s soul motown maybe even a little bit of disco just to kind of keep the tempo up but that's that's the sound of it for me it's from Memphis to Detroit, all of those like incredible voices singing their ass off. That's, that's where I just find this like symphony where I don't feel like I'm working. I don't feel like I'm doing anything that requires effort. I'm just like in the middle of it. Yeah. 
And if I, honestly, you know what? I, I should be real. Like, uh, as you heard in the ad before the show, Plift is one of our sponsors. That's my company. I have really fallen in love with having a low-dose THC drink while I'm cooking. At four milligrams of Delta 9, it's enough that, like, the first can, I just kind of relax a little bit, and maybe I focus a little bit more. My ADHD brain is all the fuck over the place, and instead of flipping through Instagram while I'm, like, working on flipping meats, I'm just thinking about that. And I prefer that, like, for how my brain works, it actually makes me focus more on the food, and I really enjoy that. And again, I'm getting like a ton of flavor that's making my mouth water. So I'm just thinking about how good this food is going to be. That is a really nice balance. Like mm-hmm. that with like a nice, my big Yeti of like ice cold water. That's kind of my perfect zone. That's when like both my neighbors on either side are like, hey, uh, what, uh, what do you got going on? Like they'll hear the music and then they come out and they smell it. And they're like, what, uh, what, what, what do we got here? And, you know, you as, as I think all of us do in this room, you cook a little bit more than you need. So you're like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm just going to cut these off. Hey, that's for you. Like, cheers. Just wanted to say thanks. And all of a sudden, maybe the next time you're out of town and a package shows up, they're like, hey, we grabbed it off your front porch. Just wanted to say, hey, we got it. We'll, we'll bring it over when you get home. Like, that, you, you yeah. just make friends when you just share stuff. We, so this is crazy. I lived in Korea for a year and a half. I like to make kimchi. I kind of do a hybrid. It's a cookbook I got in Korea mixed with some of David Chang's stuff because he does stuff I like with his flavors. Um, Side note to the side note, I once exploded kimchi in the basement while my wife was out of town. (laughs) And she came home and she's like, the the basement smells horrible. And I was like, yeah, it's just because you've been gone for a while. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, no, wait, I think it's shrimp paste. She's like, what did you just say? It's like, yeah, I exploded kimchi. Anyways, I made a bunch of kimchi for her birthday, actually. We had a big Korean barbecue birthday right coming out of COVID, right when everybody got vaxxed finally. And first time we'd seen people in so long, and it was so magical and fun. But it's hard to make a cup of kimchi. Mm. So I made jars, and our next-door neighbors are, they were born in Korea. They're Americans, and um, they're some of the sweetest people who really love sorry i just forgot your wife told me this story (laughs) well so but i I, it was like like again there's confucianist culture and there's this thing about you know the elders are supposed to give to the and they're older than me so i took over kimchi and i was just kind of like hey i I, I made kimchi and it was so funny because you guys were talking about minnesota nice i could just see it on her face where she was like Oh, like when I lived in Korea, like if my neighbor would have been like, I made you a cheeseburger, you know, they'd be yeah, like, I'd be like, sure. oh man, thank you, oh, cool. yeah. but I can do it better. And so like, I, here's kimchi. And so <laughs> I, 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 I'm just trying to be nice and I love my neighbors. So like literally 20 minutes later, the husband and wife come over. The husband doesn't speak a lot of English. I always talk to the wife and they knock on the door and they're both there. And I'm like, oh no, you know, there's something wrong with this. What have I done? And she's like, Kyle, thank you so much for this kimchi. And her husband, who again, he's never really spoken English to me. He goes, your kimchi is beautiful. My uh, wife, she tries to make kimchi. She always fails. Your kimchi is delicious and amazing. And I'm like, well, now I feel bad because <laughs> she's right here, dude. And they, and they handed me a thank you note 
with a hundred dollar <laughs> bill inside it. And what? I was like, well, now I'm like, because I, I honestly think there was almost, like, you're almost embarrassed yeah, as a career that the younger neighbors are bringing. But then it was also like that good. And then it was so perfect too, because this is also that passive aggression. Like two days later, they brought me over. So I brought over like the, what, 22 ounce like mason jars. Yeah. She brought over like the three quart that you can buy at the Korean market, yeah. empty. Like two of those, like, hey, if you ever need these, here's these. And I was like, oh, man, I, I don't even have the capacity to make that. But it's like, you know, we're talking about going to the source. Yeah. Oh, the the, so the day I arrived in Korea, I remember one of my coworkers said, do you like kimchi? And I said, what's kimchi? And he looked at me like, what are you doing in Seoul, South Korea? I'm learning. I'm exploring. Yeah. And then, you know, within two months, I wanted to go to specific barbecue restaurants because of their kimchi. Of course. You learn. Um, and so to come back home and not only make it that's okay, but like the guy that's uncomfortable trying to use his English to talk to me wants to come to my door and tell me it's beautiful. Uh, it was a really fun, cool, and we love our neighbors. They're so amazing. But it's like to be able to make kimchi yes. for my Korean neighbors and what have an them What an incredible it. That's amazing. Pretty cool. <laughs> that's right. I just love, I love, I loved Emily telling me that story when we were at your house for that barbecue. And she was like, man, we were like, did, did we, did we do well or did we not? Cause I don't know how that feels. Like it was, <laughs> it was beautifully like thankful, but also a little bit menacing. And like when they showed up with the jars, here's like, money, here's an empty jar. Thank you. But I, I think it was, comes from a good place. Yeah. I mean, you fill it if you want to, like whatever, whatever you think is good. <laughs> you know, we did give you a hundred bucks. Uh, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Buys a lot of cabbage. Well, fucking <laughs> cheers. Cheers. <laughs> cheers to passive aggressivity around the world. <laughs> okay, so this is a follow-up, and you kind of already touched on it, but you know, we'll call this a follow-up to the last question. So the cooking's done, crickets are chirping, you can finally relax. You're ready to have some whiskey after your meal. You're sitting in your lawn chair. Is it neat? Is it in a cocktail? Is it alongside something else? What's your preferred way to enjoy an after-dinner whiskey? I've got a good one for you. And yeah. I mean, and again, like you said, this changes every five minutes. Absolutely. Um, I was a teacher, and I lived in the same neighborhood as two other guys that I taught with, and we lived very far. We taught in uh, the inner city of Kansas City, Kansas. Mm. It was like a 30-minute drive, and you're leaving at 6 a.m. So we were always talking about how we should carpool. But it's just such a pain in the ass to try yeah. to carpool at 6 yeah. in the morning. So finally, one of the guys decided, well, let's make it worth our while. So one guy drives, and then we don't come home after school. We go to a bar, and we drink a Manhattan. We called it the Manhattan Project, which is kind of a dad <laughs> joke. But it very much turned into, every, you buy a round of Manhattans. It very much just turned into, you buy two rounds of Manhattans. But the fun thing is, we would go to these bars, and you'd say, can we get Manhattans? So they go, well, you know, what's this? What? We like to drink Manhattans at different bars all over town. We want your best version. I mean, I don't want you to put a $300 bourbon in there, but, or a rye, but just make me your Manhattan. Yeah. Well, we actually have a barrel-aged one. Yes, give us that one. Give us your specialty Manhattan. So then we, like, got to think about it. Um, a Manhattan's probably my drink. Um, I actually care less about the rye than I do the vermouth. Um, sure. I love Antica sweet vermouth. Yeah. And I will also say my wife has fallen hard for Amaro. 
And recently, she's been bringing home some beautiful Amaros, and I've started making that. black Manhattans. Nice. So um, I think I could, any combination of those. If I'm having a Manhattan, if I'm having a black Manhattan, if I'm having whiskey on the rocks, or if I'm having even Amaro on the rocks, um, that Amaro kind of finisher to a meal is just such a good way to put a bow tie on something. Oh, always. And, and, it, and it, it's fun for me because, you know, like when we talk beer, obviously I'm pretty into that. But Amaro is something that now my wife is. So now she can tell me why this one is good or what, what should be fun about it. And, you know, there's a place in Kansas City called the Rieger Distillery, and they do a, an Amaro sure. that they use a local coffee in. Yep. Uh, there's all sorts of imported Amaros. Juan We've got a- always has some on hand. I've had it many times, thanks to him. But that's just, for me, e- any of those. Mm-hmm. And... um they all do what I want them to do. They, they, they finish that meal in the exact right way and leave me satisfied. How about you? Or does it go to Quam next? Either way. I'll, yeah, I'll just go. I mean, it, it, sometimes, sometimes I'm playing catch-up. If I'm cooking for everybody, if I'm grilling for everybody, on my fucking 48 by 24 grill and there's my yards full of people, I'm not really consuming at the same speed as everybody else because I'm fucking busy. Right. So at the very end, I want a beer and a bump. So what I want is ice cold lager right out of the cooler. And then I want to take shots of a whiskey like this maker's mark. I don't want anything that's going to burn my throat and, you know, make me like want to go grab a cube. I just want to have a little glass that I can fill to my heart's content and ice cold lagers and just knock back some shots, drink some ice cold lager, lean back in the seat Oh, That's yeah. probably the answer more often than any other answer, though, of course, yeah, on a given day, it might be something real nice from the cart that uh, goes over a cube or something like that. But more often than not, especially this time of year, you know, summertime, if it's sweltering hot and I'm still sweating because I've been in front of fire for hours. Yeah. That's what I want. Just a cold lager and just knock back shots and uh, make that a, make that the way I close out my evening. Quam, when you were in Kansas City, did we go to Dodson's? Did we get a ham sandwich? We did not. So this is the beginning of a meal. But there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a place, a bar that does a ham sandwich that I think is one of my favorite things in the world. It's rye whiskey, a pickleback, and a can of hams. Yo. And it's like $5. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that is, it's, it's not the end, but like what you just said, like just a beer and a bump, right? Like for mm-hmm. me to go in there, and I will say I've actually had a couple afternoons there where things weren't going right. <laughs> and you end up being like, hey, can you meet me at Dodson's for a ham sandwich? They open in 13 minutes. I'll be there in 12. Yeah. And, and it's two, two ham sandwiches. You've had two beers, two shots, yeah. and you were just like, okay, I think I can process what mm-hmm. just happened a little better right now. And it's just that make your mind right. Just, but it's the, the pickle juice comes from the little pop-up burger stand that's in there called Cosmo Burger, which is like the smash burger of Kansas City right now. So they're making house-made pickles, and then they're also making, they have to make extra of the pickle juice Mm -hmm. for the bar. And it's like a big thing. Like people, the ham sandwich is a thing, and you see people, did that guy just take two shots? That's the ham sandwich. (laughs) You're like, Uh, ham sandwich? Kyle, my dog, we got to touch on this because we've been talking about, you talking about a pickleback and also having talked about kimchi meteor bar yeah i was gonna bring this up yeah, yeah, yeah. they were doing kimchi back uh shots of On wasn't it just for mezcal, mezcal. yep so doing mezcal with kimchi Ooh. juice 
kimchi bags. I was just thinking about this like two days ago because I'm like, can I buy just kimchi juice? So Kyle, can I just buy kimchi to, to take it a step so farther. Good. So there, they have the only food they have there. They have an old school gas station hot dog roller. Yes, and they're doing kimchi dogs with crispy onions on top as the food. And they have to strain out the kimchi because you want it to be a little bit dry when it's going on the hot dog so that it's not yeah. like spilling all over. Then they're straining out that kimchi juice and they're using that as the back for mezcal shots. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm out of here. <laughs> We're on our way to media. <laughs> <laughs> but That's dude, it, so awesome. It, it's like, so good, we got, too. We got to take it for the first time and like... I was like, I'm so mad that I've never thought about this before because it's the perfect back. Well, it's funny because we would actually do a, a real version of that where we would, because soju is what you drink in barbecue. Of course. So you would have your soju on the table, but it was like, mm. like, like people that had been there before me were like, so here's the deal. Like you can take a shot and then you do the kimchi. Some people even like to do it before, but it becomes almost something where like, you're eating the kimchi and then you're reaching for your soju. You're like, oh, someone needs to fill me up because mm -hmm. it is. There's like that spice and it's for sure. the really nice. Oh, my God. That's next level. I love the cooking really? scene, the food scene in this town. It is so awesome. <laughs> we're doing we, all right. We're doing I think all right. we tapped him out of kimchi juice. That <laughs> we, we did. Too, we that, like, that's the tough part. Is kimchi it? juice, please. And they're like, God damn it. You're like beast and nectar. What it has to be. It has to be in relativity to how many hot dogs are sold because you have to go through the kimchi in order to yeah. be able to strain up the juice. Can I, can I buy eight hot dogs and you just throw them in the trash, please? <laughs> You know what? How about this? I'll find people that'll eat these eight hot dogs and then I'm just going to drink all that juice. We'll go hand these out. Do you like it a juice? I like it a juice. God, that is awesome. It's so great. I want to try the dog and the, the pickleback. The Take it and go everywhere with it. It's so fucking good. Uh, all right. Is this, this is beverages across the board, right? Whiskey after. Look, how how it, are you going to take whiskey after it, grilling? Okay, whatever, if, whatever manifestation. Cocktail, meat, rocks, wh whatever. So um, I do find myself a little bit more in your world, Charles, where I want to crush like a lager or two. Where I took that question was, I like to back up a grill night with a bonfire. Mm. So I will crush a few lagers at the end of like closing up the grill, letting it cool down, giving it a quick brush, like whatever. But when I sit down- Throw them hot coals right into the bonfire. That's it. When I actually sit down for the bonfire though, I don't always go for a beer. And I will go one of two ways with it. I will either go like a beautiful scotch because I've already been around smoke this whole time. And then I'm going to about, um, like, we have a solar stove. So the amazing, mind-blowing technology of the fire pit that doesn't kick any smoke out is awesome. Once it starts going, it just burns so hot and so efficiently that there's no smoke to come out. And, but you still, like, you can still smell it. So to me, I really love, like, a good smoky scotch to go with that. Like a Lagavulin, to me is my favorite thing to put a single cube in and just sit and so like slowly sip on that. Mm -hmm. Or if it's oppressively hot on those last couple days before it chills out, I'll go the other way. And I really love a dill Akavit with a little squirt of lime. Not a whiskey. Not a whiskey. I will, I will <laughs> still delicious. Correct. I will just say it's, it's one of those two things. Yeah. It's really, really rare that I will finish an entire cooking session if we're outside, like right now is what I'm picturing. If we're inside and this is around the holidays and I'm trying to host some friends over, 
totally different experience. If that's the case, then I'm probably pouring something like, honestly, Widow Jane is still kind of my favorite American bourbon to just pour on an ice cube and sip on inside if the temperature has been the same the entire time. I really, it's a New York bourbon, which I know See, is I weird. I don't know Widow Jane. So it's, it's a weird thing to, to talk about. Um, if, if I have a bottle of it, it's usually what I'll pour because the limestone content in upstate New York is very similar to that of Kentucky and Tennessee. And huh. it ends up tasting very, very similar. But if I had to go by volume, it would honestly probably be Basil Hayden or Maker's Mark. Like, I just want something that I can pour more than I should into a glass and not feel super guilty about it. You know, sure. like, both of those are delicious but also affordable. Right. And, I mean, I, I do love the scotch answer and the smoke, and I'm picturing, like, a cigar. I have this thing, too. Well, you know, earlier I was talking about hearkening spring. For me, for me, I know when it's spring, it's almost like a new pope has been ordained. I call it the three smokes. It's bonfire, grill, cigar. When Correct. I have those things yeah. outside at the same time, now it's actually spring. Because then you know it thawed and shit. It's not that it's too cold to grill. It's that, like, there's no ice everywhere. You finally are like, it's spring. We're grilling. We're smoking cigars. We're having a bonfire. Call those the three smokes. When you throw the scotch in there, that's the four smokes. Four smokes. Four smokes. I mean, honestly, we should just plan a four smokes party for the spring. Anytime. I think we just figured that out. Anytime. That's can I, a thing. Can I come? Of course. Fuck yeah. Thanks, you guys. I mean, shit, you're already invited, son. <laughs> but no, like, I just want... I think the bigger thing, like, Charles, you have taught me, everyone in my life has taught me patience. You have also taught me patience through a cigar, right? Like, just fucking chill. And when I sit down in a chair, like, it's very rare that I will stand and smoke a cigar. So when I sit in a yeah. chair, then I, like, want a thing in my hand that I don't have to keep getting back up for. Yes. And that's, like, that's why that scotch thing just jumps in. Mm. Uh Balvenie Double Wood is my all-time favorite scotch. It's dollar for dollar, probably my favorite scotch whiskey on earth. I'm not going to try and tell anybody that it's the best. I will just say that dollar for dollar, that packs my favorite flavor out of anything. And if I had to just say, okay, you're done. You've been standing for nine hours. You get to sit down. There's a cigar in your hand. What do you want that glass filled with? It would either be, depending on the fire, it would either be Lafroig or Balvany. Yeah, buddy. That's, yeah, I mean, that's not even a question. Money notwithstanding, and I mean, I have it on hand, but it's something you have to drink for a reason. And hey, we're sponsored by Beam Centauri. Yamazaki 18 Oof. with a Padron 80-year uh, anniversary after, like, say it is that last barbecue let's of the go. summer. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, hey, things are... We don't know if we're going to get more nice weather. We might not. So you're like, we're going to pack in a real nice party here. Give me... The Yamazaki 18 straight, give me like fucking four fingers. I mean, if all bets are off, yeah, yeah, I'm sitting right next to you asking for that. That's what's up. Awesome. All right, so uh, we have have one final question. I believe, Charles, it looks like you have an empty glass. Would you like, we have have the end of the creek or we have makers. I'll take a wee bit more whiskey. You know, I I just poured. We're talking about whiskey. I poured the whiskey right on top Mm -hmm. of the last couple of. Sips of cherry. That's not a horrible combination. That's Ooh. what I just did, and it's so good. You it's just so made good. a 
Belgian Manhattan. Yep. I didn't think that it was going <laughs> to suck, and it does not suck. Yeah. Wait, just before you ask the last question, I do, if the listeners are still listening, they're going to get this amazing nugget. Kansas City and Master Chef Season 13 contestant Kyle Hopkins, I would like to share my recipe for ribs. Oh, it's yes. Only, it's only two ingredients, a pot of boiling water and one sparrow's nest. <laughs> And that's but, my secret. That's the KC secret. But you have to forest it yourself. <laughs> you cannot, you can't buy the forest. You have to earn the sparrows. I actually, I spit my own in the garage <laughs> over, mean, the, over the winter until yeah, it's ready. You have to <laughs> do it in the tree, though, and you have to free climb. Yeah. So. <laughs> if you can't fly, you got to free climb. Maybe that's, maybe my Korean neighbors are paying for my psychiatrist <laughs> or something because they've seen yeah. me in the trees trying to make a sparrow's nest. Yeah, we're worried about you, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I, the the mental picture that I just got out of seeing you in your yard, like knowing what your yard looks like, it's just like, yep, I'm in with that that busy road in the background, yep. just yep. watching, just yeah. watching you. They're like, Kyle, your are you okay? I'm making ribs, <laughs> Master Chef, motherfucker. <laughs> Can't have ribs without boiling water in a sparrow's nest. <laughs> Got to do put the work in. Okay. You've learned that, that. I'll tell you how you learn patience right there. <laughs> Making your own sparrow's nest over six months. Yeah. Take that, Aron. Imagine how the sparrow feels. Are yeah. you fucking kidding? <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Boil that's that? amazing. I can't even land there. What the fuck even is this? This dude just keeps spitting all over my shit. <laughs> you just stole my kid's home and you boiled oh, it. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we have talked a lot on this show, especially in the last couple episodes, about the Great Minnesota get-together. Uh, for those of you that do not live in the United States or have not been to Minnesota, the Minnesota State Fair is, it, it, it is something to behold. It is something that millions of people attend. Uh, it involves rides and food and music and every possible Cultural touch point has their own booth. They give things away. They try and interact with people. And you, as the fairgoer, just sort of walk through miles and miles of booths just trying to serve you something, tell you something, give you something, do whatever. And I loved the fact that the first episode had to do with state fairs on MasterChef. And I love the fact that you so like fun. you were like, bitch, I got this. And <laughs> yeah. you you did a high difficulty level dish, but with the heart of somebody who understands how incredible a Midwestern and specifically Minnesotan state fair goes, because we do in fact have the best state fair in the country. What I want to ask is, what is your favorite thing about the Minnesota State Fair? Oh, my God. I, so I was there all day yesterday. It is. So let me say this. You guys are from around here. You guys, I'm sure, are biased as shit. So you're going to say all this night stuff. I don't have to. <laughs> it is so. All the hyperbole is true. It's yep. insane. Mm -hmm. And there, there was, I mean, it's funny. I was there on a Tuesday. So, like, it's kind of a slow day. What the fuck? That's a slow day? Like, it is packed. Um I honestly think you could spend a whole day just in like one block and you could eat all that food and drink all the specialty beers and 
buy your uh, Paw Patrol balloons and do whatever. But it is, it was, it's an, it's an insane experience. I mean, is it too easy of an answer to say the food? Because the food is what I was there for. I had done. I will just drill down and say that if you're going to say the food, you have to get specific about what foods you I'll really think. I'll give you think. a couple. I'll give yeah, you yeah, a couple. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a single one. Like, and of course, I was devastated by how horrible the lobster fries were. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Yeah. No. But they weren't real. They're, they're just French fries covered in lobster meat and <laughs> they're expensive and it's kind of a gimmicky thing, but obviously I, I'm i biased against their version. As the I grandfather like, of lobster, lobster fries. <laughs> um, I will tell you, my favorite bite, and there's there's layers to this because it is so indulgent and ridiculous. It's so state fair hyperbole. And it's like a little taboo. The deep fried cookie dough hand pie? Yeah. So the cookie dough doesn't fully cook. And I think we all know it's like kind of naughty to eat cookie dough. Like at some point your mom was like, don't eat that. It's got raw eggs in it. And you're like... But I want to. I, no, I grew up in a house that was full on eat it. If oh, we were sick, too, but sick. it was always like there was threats. Like you knew you weren't supposed to. You knew it was naughty, right? That's all <laughs> For I'm sure. So, but that was like, so the outside is like deep fried and crispy. The inside, like the chocolate melts and the cookies only like half cook. I actually kind of used to do this move when I was in college. We had like a toaster oven and I would take raw cookie dough and cook it for like six minutes and 30 seconds and then put it on vanilla ice cream at like two in the morning. Yeah. And it was like, I like thought I'd invented something, but it's just <laughs> uncooked cookie dough. <laughs> but this is like a refined version of that. But if you're thinking like, what do I want at the fair? indulgent, deep-fried nostalgia, and that hit everything for me. I will also say, um, it was right across from the Mike Lindell, the My Pillow, which I just thought was so funny. Oh, like, God. what a weird, like you said, anyone that's anybody in Minnesota shows up trying to, like, do it. Who's, who's also in the process of liquidating all of his warehouse right now. Good. Like, every single thing that he owns, he's trying to sell for money, yeah. but he still spent money in a state fair booth to pretend like everything was normal. So the cookie dough was out of this world. I, oh. Also, just real quick, in, can, in case anybody didn't get it, fuck Mike Lindell and fuck all of those guys. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say I, that. So anyway, I actually sorry. thought I might go talk shit, and I kind of got close to it. And there was these three guys like walked right in front of me, and some guy's like, hey, you selling this Lindell cutout? I want to take it home and beat the shit out of it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't even have to talk shit here. Everyone else is doing it for me. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So and I, so both of these were kind of the – I got the cookie dough, and then I went back into the ag building, and they had this Cherry's Jubilee malt that has dark chocolate syrup. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, again, like I get it that like you might be more familiar. I'm not. I had to see the butter sculptures. And so I, I got back in that building. I've got this cherry chocolate malt, which that's a nice thing we just did here. Exactly. And – and then, like, I went and saw the butter sculptures, and it is, like, this is the end of the day. I, I've been slow drinking all day, eating all day. I don't need any more food. And I'm, like, enjoying this malt, and I'm looking at these, like, kind of beautiful butter sculptures that are, like, yeah. like, con- like it's, it's like a confusing piece of art. <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to everyone that has never been to Minnesota that's listening right now, uh, our state fair has an entire competition about not only who can make the best seed art, where you have to make like uh, mosaics with different local seeds, mm-hmm. but we also have uh, butter sculptures of actual human beings, including the winner of the fair contest every year, Pin- Princess K of the Milky Way, gets her entire bust 
carved out of butter, and then that lives on for the entire fair. Oh Again, confirming a lot of things that everybody <laughs> everywhere <laughs> around the world thinks about us. I also want to say when I was a kid, I got in trouble because I bit the head off one of my neighbor's butter sculpted lambs on Easter. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> like, like, out of anger or because you wanted to eat the butter? I just bit the whole. I don't know. Come on, I was a piece of shit. I just did, bit the head off the lamb. But did you swallow it or yeah. did you spit I it out? It. No, oh no, yeah. No. All right. Hey, just beheaded that motherfucker. Shout out to Ashley Buck. That's a different story. Okay, I've got Uh-oh. a great breakfast recommendation. Okay, uh, cheesecake curds. Ooh, so good. Dipped in raspberry. So good. cool. I haven't so tried it yet. Good. That's brand new. It's it is. Brand it's brand one new. of the new foods. So good. Hey, I haven't had it. Um, and then I, I'm doing all sweets, which you makes, are doing which makes a lot of sense the way my uh, my brain works at a fair. I will say one of the savory bites I had that I really liked. So there's this like Minnesota or Maui soda ribs with huli huli sauce or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those are new as well. Yeah, and they were okay, but that it's RCs. The other they had this thing. I can't. I think they called it the smoked hen. So it's like a tub of barbecue chips that they're definitely frying there. Smoked chicken, a blue cheese fondue, candied jalapenos. I'm trying to remember. Mm. But so then it was hard to share and honestly hard to eat just as a single person. Sure, but it was. Fresh chips, smoked chicken, blue cheese fondue, pickled jalapenos. Let's go. So now we're talking savory and salty. Yep. You're hitting a lot of those. And I, the ribs, I'm, I'm a snob. I, I'm, I'm a Kansas Cityan, and I make delicious ribs on my own smoker. And, again, it's impossible to do that volume and have every mm-hmm. rib be perfect. I wasn't that blown away by the ribs, but I was blown away by the chips I got from that okay. spot. And talk about savory. You're hitting a bunch of different textures and colors and flavors. I mean, we were eating all day yesterday. I mean, I, I, I didn't love the Prano Pup. Is that a rude thing to say? No. I, I feel like, like there was the, there's the new running back in New Orleans. I can't remember what his name is. Jamal Williams. Yeah. Yep. Did you see, like, one of his first things? He's like, he's in New Orleans. And they're like, how are you feeling about New Orleans? And he's yeah. like, well, beignets suck. You're like, yeah. no, dude. Yeah. No, don't say that. <laughs> first of all, Jamal Williams is my favorite non-Viking so NFL rude. player, period. Just- I love him so much. But he's right, and I also, I, I will weigh in on this debate. Here's the thing. Prono Pops are pancake batter. Uh, corn dogs are basically like like cornbread batter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, to me, as a Minnesotan, I think corn dogs are better. I understand the idea of like, uh, you know, pigs in a blanket, like the Prono Pup thing. I will always adhere to corn dogs because I think, A, the mealiness of the... Cornbread is better, but also uh, I don't want it that just like battery sweet. I enjoy the actual flavor of corn in something. And a few of the stands, actually, you could see the kernels of corn in there. And I'm, I'm here for that. Yeah, I just, and I would also say if you've never been to the state fair and you're like, oh, I want to get a Prano Pup, yeah, you probably should. Like, you know, you're there. It's like one of the things. Get both and figure it out. And I will also say, this is not food, but just a moment. I just did a chef's kiss since you can't see me. Um, when we were getting Pronto Pups, I don't remember exactly where we were, but there was a band on stage, and there was uh, a Carney fella wearing <laughs> a shirt that said, Let's Go Brandon. And I kind of think it had, like, the Blue Lives flag, but I couldn't totally tell. But then he was wearing a hat that was unbranded but simply said, Adderall. And I was like, 
this is the like this is the guy that's putting together the rides that I refuse to get on. <laughs> Let's go, Brandon, and then a hat that says Adderall, and I'm like, I actually think I know a lot about you. I've met you before in different versions, but I know who you are. I think I've seen your episode on cops. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've seen your episode on cops. But I'm like, that is that is a carny through and through right there. Look at this fella. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, I, I will say, though, I just, I'm really trying to get my Minnesota street cred here, but I'm not trying very hard because I love the state of Minnesota. And I, I, like I said, I worked at a camp up north, and I do. I love coming up here in the summers. The, the state fair was, it's just so set up. Like, everyone tells you how great it is, and it's so easy for that kind of experience to fall flat. It just didn't. Nope. It's, there's so much to see, so much to do. It just was, I mean, I, did, I felt like I did 3% of what I could have done there, and I was there all day living sure. my best life. Right. So, I mean, I, I get it why people go out numerous days. And if I lived here, I'd want to go one day with my kid, one day with my wife, and one day with my buddies and do very For different sure. versions of the fair. Absolutely. It, it's so funny because I do the same thing. It's one day with my coworkers, one day with friends, and then one day just solely by myself. Yeah. Uh, Charles, we get to share a day together that was fucking amazing. We did. Yeah. Uh, but, but aside from that, what, what's, what's your jam? So, you know, we're talking about what makes the Minnesota State Fair special because it, it is a very special place. Uh, for me, if, you, if, if you're talking about, like, equating it to versus other fairs, it's like the Minnesota State Fair is like the New York City or, like, Mexico City of fairs where – you got to be real good at what you do to to be able to persist in that environment over a long period of time. For sure. Which means not just volume, because that shit is impressive, but the quality of almost anything you try, if you at random pick stands, you're going to almost certainly have something that you really enjoy. And, and again, I am talking about food. The other day, I forget who I was having this conversation with. There's a group of people, but somebody said, like, I don't understand why people just get, like, the classics because there's so much fun stuff to try. And I was like, well, I think there's a very easy explanation for that. It might be right in front of your face, and you didn't realize it or didn't, it didn't occur to you, but those are the best cheese curds you can get anywhere from a mouth trap. Those are the best corn dogs or prano pups, depending which you Facts. prefer, that you can get anywhere. The best onion rings, and they're not onion rings, they're onion strings. Danielson and Daughters... Onion strings are the best Facts. onion rings on planet Earth. Mm. There is no fucking question. And there's a few days left when this is published, if you listen to it live, if you're one of our listeners that, that follows along. If you have not had it, and when I got them a few days ago, the line was like three people. That is fucking criminal. Those onion strings are spectacular. We'll 100% go sign that. Yeah, and then there are things like that I, I had disregarded my entire adult life like chan's chicken i'd never had the grilled chan's chicken on a stick fucking spectacular mm -hmm. than a thing that i always have to get the mancini's uh pig wings oh, the pig man. wings are Dude, ridiculous those pig wings are fucking unbelievable wait in the line for it it's worth it 100 percent. see that's that kind of what i was saying like couldn't i have just eaten mancini's all day yesterday <laughs> yes you could have and you would have been fine menu fried ravioli like let's go sandwich that everyone was yep, talking let's up. And go like, I didn't yeah. even see it until we were leaving because yeah. it's that big. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's that place we were talking about. But that's how nuts it is. Like, it's just insane. Totally. My, my brother in Christ, I often look for something all day and don't find it. And then I just say, like, I, get, I guess I got to get next time. What happened last year is I couldn't find the pickled pizza. 
I don't know why. I couldn't find the fucking pickle pizza. I ended up getting it. They do like a mini fair in the spring now. They started it over COVID. I got the pickle pizza because I got in right at the beginning. There was no line. I got it. And I was like, I turned to my buddy and I said, what are the odds that the Minnesota State Fair has the best New York slice in all of Minnesota? And it's a fucking slice of pickle pizza. <laughs> those sure do. Those are the odds. That slice. And they make others. They, they make a pepperoni. I don't know mm-hmm. if they do it during the regular fair because everyone gets the pickle. But the pickle pizza is fucking unbelievable. That is the best New York slice in the state of Minnesota. Wow. So I would say punching above its weight when it comes to food stuff. And of course, there's like all sorts of other things to do. We're at the Grandstand, which in and of itself is this massive music venue with acts that probably don't play a lot of fairs. But we saw motherfucking Shaka Khan and Boys to Men a few days ago, and it was one of my favorite concerts in memory. First of all, that's a one-of-one concert. They're not on tour. They don't tour together. Shaka Khan played a full set, and then Boys to Men played a full set. Yes. Like, I, I... I cannot even articulate how much that whole show meant. A picturesque night. We watched the sun go down, that massive Ferris wheels right in the background. At the end, a bunch of fireworks go off. Come on, man. That's some Disneyland in the Midwest shit right there. I'm 44 years old, and I got to watch Shaka Khan at 70 sing her ass off for 15 songs, ending with Ain't Nobody and murdering it. Killing it. In glitter-ass pants and a perm at yeah. 70 years old, out singing her own backup Looking singers. Looking fabulous. Looking fucking fabulous. The only letdown was I really wanted Chaka Khan to come out and sing a Mariah's part when Boys to Men did One oh, Sweet Day. Yeah. I, was, mm, I was praying for it. But then Boys to Men, I, I will argue it to the end of the day. I don't know who should have been, quote-unquote, the headliner. I would have been really happy if Shaka Khan ended everything, but boys to men played after and they ended with end of the road. Mm. And as somebody who is my age, boy, I don't know if there's anything that's going to get more emotion out of me than singing end of the road with 20,000 people together. Yes. Awesome. Like it was, Oh, it was so (laughs) rad. But the thing like, look, I, the music is a part of it. Like, I got to take my dad to both Steely Dan before Walter passed and James Taylor, who ended his show with an acapella version of, um, well, he did like three songs as the outro with him and his two backup singers. Like the music is absolutely elite level. As long as you're open to kind of a little bit of everything. Like, there's yeah. always one or two shows that mean something to me. It's a nice thing, right? And there's one or two shows that mean something yeah, to people sure. that I'm like... It has to be what they're aiming yeah. for, right? It's a really diverse... Because there's even, like, I saw on Sunday, there's, like, the Nickelodeon blippy guy or whatever. Like, it's yeah. even like a family-friendly... It's not for adults, but they're going to get a bunch of kids in there. For that's sure. cool, too, because then you make lifelong memories. So, the, the James Taylor show, to use it as an example, mm. uh, they closed with uh, You Can Close Your Eyes, which is probably the song, if you have to get me emotional and like to tear up, that might be the easiest song to get me there. And the next night, it was like five seconds of summer and like two other pop bands that I've never heard of. And I love that. I love that they're just yeah. like, it doesn't matter, like just come if you're old, young, whatever, be there. But when it came down to it, I think the thing that I love the most was the pickle lemonade. Oh, I heard. I missed that, too. Like, I, I, I've had a lot of really great food, uh, but that, 
as dumb as it sounds, to have like a mass produced, straight up from scratch lemonade, like super tart, super acidic, an ungodly amount of sugar in there as well. And then pickle brine and an actual pickle in there. Mm. And then when you finish it. You, you, see, you were the pickle, by the way. Well, I mean, of course I was in there. Uh, but then at the end, to have a pickle that was soaked, like a, a dill-pickled pickle that was soaked in lemonade, eating that at the end was probably the best garnish bite I've ever had in my life. Wow. It was, because it was, it was salty-ass dill pickle, uh, wavy cut, which to me is the best cut, through and through. But then on the outside, it was sugary and lemonade-y. So when you put it on your tongue, you're like, oh, fuck, it just tastes like lemonade. And then you oh, chew it up, and you're like, oh, it's a salty-ass dill pickle. Like, that was the best flip that I have had. That was the That's best one. bite. I haven't had it yet. It, it, it really, like, was like, what the fuck? Like, how is this the thing that's moving me? Those cheesecake bites were incredible. They were incredible. I, I absolutely love it. Mancini's pork wings, ridiculous. But that was the that was the thing this year that I was like, holy fuck, I need to start making pickled lemonade in my fridge and just letting some slices sit in there. Yeah. Because when those pickle slices take everything on, holy fuck, that was the best thing ever. I like I made a little montage of the photos from from Sunday. And like a picture or two before the selfie of me just singing the chorus of End of the Road. It was just a picture of the pickle wedge floating on top of my pickled lemonade. Uh, but, like, I will admit, it's sweet, it's salty, it's tart. It's, it's, the, it's the entire flavor wheel. It's umami it's times also, there's nostalgia everything. There. I yeah. saying, nostalgia, I think, is really important with fair food. Yes. It's got to have something that kind of takes you back to this, ah, oh, like, yeah, like it's the best onion string you've ever had. Well, yeah, that's what I think of at the fair. I smell onions frying. I think the thing for me that was, you know, like my wife and I went to Chicago right before we had kids, and we were there for, I think, three nights, maybe four nights, and I think I had, like, a running list of, like, 68 restaurants I wanted to go to, <laughs> and that's how I felt yesterday, where yeah. I was like, I've read this article, I've read this article, somebody told me this, I'm following these people on Instagram, but then, like, yeah, I've got to try the pickle lemonade. I never got to try that. And then, and then also, I was there with a bunch of people yesterday. Yeah. So that became a thing, too, where I was like, what are you excited to try, Kyle? I'm like, well, I really want to try this, this, and this. Like, what are you ex- You know this. You've been here. What you tell me? Yeah. What are you excited? What do you want to try? I, I'm, I am game for anything. And it, it's crazy because you're like, well, we got to go to this place. Oh, perfect. I want to stop and get this on the way there. And they're like, oh, pork chop on a stick. Oh, pick a lemonade. And then you're like, it's like every like 10 feet. You're like, oh God, I can't stop and get everything because I will literally yeah. die. Yeah. I will say my dad joke all day yesterday was I just wanted to go to the all you can drink milk until I vomit and then restart. I'm like, is that how you cleanse your body at the oh, state God. fair? Just clear a court? And I, I will say over? that there is somebody that does that every day, every single state fair. It's, what, a frontal milk douche? Yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> I, I can't tell you, as somebody who used to have to work at the state fair, uh, I used to do a, a DJ party there every year. It was amazing. It was honestly like if if I had to like equate my favorite nights DJing, I think three of my top ten moments would have been at the state fair. You had seven to 10,000 people that Jeez. were just getting the fuck down. But we had to wait until it started getting 
dusky. Like we had like two to three hours tops. That was it. So depending on the sun, like we just kind of had to wait and wait and wait. So we would go and that was the, the milk area was very close. So we'd go grab beers where there's, there's a bunch of bars there too. We weren't all just going to get milk. We'd go get beers and then you'd look over and there's always some like 17 or 18 year old kid who was very clearly just being like, Hey, what's up? My name's Brad. Uh, this isn't jackass, but we're trying to be jackass. All right, here we go. This is the milk challenge. And you <laughs> no. just watch him like slam like two or three and just fucking projectile vomit. It was. <laughs> I it, kept making that joke and I feel like it was making everyone gag just thinking about oh, it. Oh, no. Yeah, it's that's a, a real thing. thing. It's an absolutely real thing. They have, if you go back there before you head back to Kansas City, look around. There is an actual hose with a full on spigot. It's just for that. <laughs> Oh, just to spray off the dumb shit that people do. I also just want to say we had blue milk before Luke Skywalker. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard flex, Minnesota. So, Mark Hamill. Uh, all right. Well, Kyle, like I, I just fucking love you. I, I think you are such a wonderful human being, and I'm so happy that this all worked out with getting you to Minnesota and being able to talk to you. Um, for people that want to follow your journey, like I'm sure there are thousands of people out there listening that have seen you and want to know more about you. How is like, what's the best way to follow on like where you go from here? Yeah, probably the best way is Instagram. I do. I do. I'm at KU Hoppy. That's like something I started a long time ago. I just, I'm always KU Hoppy. It's not the most creative handle, but it works. Do you have to say rock chalk before you're allowed in? (laughs) How does that work? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, i've met some of you before yeah they're the worst well actually this i'll I'll date myself but so i grew up in prairie village kansas pv so when i was in high school we got the little cd to your house for aol where you can download aol oh yeah you can use your phone to get on the internet and you get a hundred free hours yeah so at that point i was like well we need an email address for the family because we all shared one because that's what it, how it works in 1996 oh and my so, god and so we this are the hopkins so, so we are pv hoppy and then i went to college in 1999 and they're like you need an email address and i was like uh no i'm good i don't think i do and they're like no you actually do need an email address because and i was like oh so maybe i'll be ku hoppy and then, like, that just kind of became this thing where then it just stuck and I'm just lazy. Um, yeah, KU Hoppy on Instagram.com. You know, I post a lot of fun uh, pictures of my food and adventures with my kids. And uh, I don't know. I don't need you to follow me. It's like that's – I'm, like, different like that. I think some people, like – I create content for myself that mm-hmm. I want to be able to look at later. And if you want to see it – join and i do i cook ridiculous food and i i do have ridiculously cute kids and an amazing wife and my adventures do pop up on there um you know i've got a couple kind of doors that are opening because of some of this and i hope this journey continues and it just gets more fun for everybody i said this earlier but with all this master chef stuff i think the best thing is just how positive it's been i getting like direct messages from a woman in new zealand who's like i cried last night watching you uh you're so touching to me and i really like i don't know who you are and like I think I thought maybe I'd get more creepers, but everyone's just, like, nice and awesome and, like, God, you're so great. Hey, you're awesome. God, that pork chop looks good. Or, you know, of course, there's a few of the weirdo creepers that I think are Russian bots, but the majority of it is just, I don't know. I I try to have a life that I think is fun, and if you want to come along for the ride, please do. Um, And, yeah, that's where I will always post things I'm doing if I'm, 
if I'm going to pop up somewhere and cook some food or do something cool. And I post pairings of things that I'm interested in and uh, just things to do with my life. Um, and, I mean, we should shine a light on your wife, too. Like, do you want to give one more shout-out to her Instagram? for Sure, yeah, Emily Ferris. Follow- she yeah. sees that, Emily Ferris. And then she she does a lot of different things. Like I said, she does have a book coming out in February. She does a lot of stuff for Epicurious. Um were you in town when we were testing gas grills? I was. Yeah, so we had like seven gas grills in my back alley. And I kind of like, I kind of like was like, mm-hmm. oh, really? And then uh, Epicurious was where I started my first recipe book uh, as Same. a home cook, I think at 23. Yeah. And I'm 44 now. Like the first and place other than foodnetwork.com that you could save recipes. Totally. Like on a broad spectrum. Yep. Uh, and uh, I logged back in there and uh, I looked at some of the recipes. I, I had four of Emily's recipes saved. That's awesome. Like, that's, it's it's that's just, cool. yeah. again, and that was way after I had come down to see you. It was just kind of yeah. cool to be like, holy shit. Like, we, it, it's amazing. Way I'll have to log in there with my AOL account. See <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, dude, uh, straight recipes. up. Uh, <laughs> my, my username for that website is something that I have not used since I turned 30. Nice. So it took me a little while to figure out how to log back in, but yeah, it was yeah, it was right. During COVID, we kind of survived by doing recipe development for the Anova company for all their sous vide stuff. So then, and we did a bunch of that stuff. So she has stuff on the. I get that sometimes where people will be like, "Dude, my wife got me a sous vide stick. How come all these recipes have your wife's name on them?" And I'm like, "Well, because we created them." <laughs> it's, it's I, I'm not answer. using I'm not using any of Emily's uh, recipes, but uh, I I did train my mom in earlier today on how to use the sous vide. She's making a prime rib for some people that she's entertaining for, wow. and I'm so excited because I think she's got it, and I'm so excited to nice. to like see how it goes. Yeah, like I am I'm so stoked. Well, and I just want to repeat some. I, I, I've known you for. Year and a half now, yeah. almost two years. Yeah, yeah. Feelings mutual, man. This is so cool to be here, and I like watching your journey too. And I mean, Charles, we just got to meet tonight, but I feel like I've known you forever, um, just from listening to the podcast myself. And then, man, we seem like kindred spirits. Absolutely, so I, I, it's an honor for me to be sitting uh, in this room with you guys, sharing drinks, sharing stories, and sharing laughs. So, thanks for having me. Thanks for breaking bread with us. This was awesome. Yeah. There's a there's a time in in my brain right now that we're gonna figure out how to get all three of us at Kitchen Stadium, whether it's at yours or his, because you both have very similar sets up or setups. Yeah, I guess I don't know, like yes, attorneys general or attorney generals, whatever. <laughs> Either way, you guys both have dope ass setups in your backyard, and I am. It's so funny because I had never thought about it until we were sitting in this room that watching you do what you did this past weekend and when I was down at your place, it was the same thing. It was like, oh, I'm so excited. I have all these things and I'm just going to keep going with it. And it's overkill, but it's overkill in the most heartful, like I just want everybody to feel like they're taken care of way. And as somebody who speaks that language and speaking to all of you listeners out there, I know that a lot of you feel the same way. I can't wait to maybe someday like cook with you guys. Like, Let's do it. Putting food on plates and eating with friends and eating with people that you care about is the best thing ever. And I just, I love that we get to keep doing this and watching your journey on MasterChef has been so incredible. And I just wanted to say like, it's so fucking rad that you're here. Yeah. So uh, Charles, 
Uh, you're off to Lebanon. Is there anything else that you want to throw in on that? We'll, no, we'll be back at the big announcement. You're going to cook with 40,000 people. Damn right, man. <laughs> Let's go. I think we can figure it out. I'll work on that while you're gone. Uh, no, man, I'm, I'm excited for my trip, and I'm sure I'll have plenty of stories to share with all you fine listeners when, once I return. And uh, we've, we've, we have a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, we shifted a few things because of how things got with the end of the summer and, and holidays and all that. Uh, a lot of that is now kind of basically as soon as Charles gets home, we're hitting the ground running. So uh, we love you guys very much. Uh, for those of you that celebrate Labor Day, please have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. For those of you that don't, I hope the the start of like September is wonderful for you. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in a couple weeks. But till then, cheers, y'all. See you. Bye.